Hello, and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast, where we discuss pop culture from a communist lesbian perspective with correct hot takes and opinions. I know many of you Mm -hmm. cannot say the same. My name is Sunny. (laughs) I use they, them pronouns. She, her is okay if you're a lesbian. The rest of you, fuck off. No, Um, I... I am a Cancer Sun, Capricorn Moon, Gemini Rising, Gemini Stellium, Cancer Mars. And I think that is why I love Taylor Swift so much, because she's a Scorpio Mars, Scorpio Rising, Cancer Moon. Like, I don't know, she just has, uh, Capricorn Mercury, like, she just has something, there's just something really special about her to me. So, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, it, it is mm-hmm. really, it is November 13th when we are recording this. So 13. Ooh, 13. I see you. I see you, Miss Swift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm the other co-host of The Lavender Menace. My name is Renaissance. I go by they, them pronouns. And, oh, I'm an Aries sun, Gemini moon, Virgo rising, Aries Venus, Pisces Mercury, and Sagittarius Mars. So a lot of fire. Yeah, I'm also a lesbian with correct opinions, but we have so much to talk about today that I'm quite excited about. Yes. Obviously, today we're going to be talking about red parentheses Taylor's, Taylor's version. version. Yes. The most like one of the most important things I think to happen to like the way that both of these albums are going to be so influential in pop culture. Right. Taylor Swift has uh, just straight out a career that is almost unfathomable to yeah. have predicted or think of. And it's also it's incomparable. There's no one that she... There's no one that, like, is on her level, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of success, popularity, well, like, writing in the, skills. In the frequency, because I think... And I was going to talk to this. This album reminds me a lot of, um, like, the original Red, but also, like... Taylor's version mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of Adele's 21 mm-hmm. like a lot of the environment that both of them were in and mm-hmm. the and also the way that these two albums were so deeply emotional and mm-hmm. personal to them mm-hmm. but then were completely adopted by the fans like the Adele yeah. said like 21 was my album but now it became the fans like the world right. took 21 right. in the same way that like Red Taylor mm-hmm. could not have predicted the way yeah. that the audience was initially going to react to Red. Yeah. But a key difference between Taylor Swift and Adele is, like, Adele makes one album, drops it, we never see her again for <laughs> years and years and years. Yeah. Taylor Swift yeah. comes out with an album after album after yeah. album after album. Mm-hmm. And that is unparalleled in yeah. pop culture or yeah. in the music industry. Yeah. And every so. time she drops something, and it's it a makes... An impact. Like, there is impact. undeniable, undeniable mm-hmm. influence on pop culture every time she does anything. And, like, anything. I just think... And it, it's been that way for 15 years. For basically as long as I've been alive, she has been incredibly relevant. I was gonna... I was gonna like, talk about that. And as that well. is so insane to me. Like that woman has just accumulated so much success. Like it is it is absolutely insane. Like and I I just love her for it. And I think and I think people who hate her or people who dislike her or dislike her music, I think it's like you're a little bit delusional, love. Like <laughs> like what do you mean? <laughs> I think I genuinely think it's impossible to truly dislike Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as a musician, what people mm-hmm. uh, people's parasocial relationships or conclusions mm-hmm. that they come, especially with like just how many 
journalistic loose quotations yeah careers are built off of writing about her life like if she didn't exist a lot of you would not have (laughs) careers careers. (laughs) um she is the music industry like exactly the conclusions that you get from the things that people write about her whatever i think it's really impossible to dislike taylor swift in terms of an artist not only Mm -hmm. because her discography is so wide and diverse Mm -hmm. that like if you're Mm -hmm. telling me you don't like a a single taylor song yeah you're lying i know she spanned so many genres and so many of her songs sound so different like what do you mean what do you mean (laughs) the second reason i think that it's impossible to dislike taylor swift is that her print (laughs) like her sons Mm -hmm. like you Mm -hmm. like the music you like because taylor swift made the music that she made you would not have your favorite songs if those artists didn't also grow up listening Mm -hmm. to taylor swift Mm -hmm. so i think that by proxy (laughs) Mm -hmm. a lot of people like more taylor swift than they think they do because so many songs are made in reflection and in the aftermath of her albums they have to be because mm-hmm. she is the music industry. But anyways, mm-hmm. that's getting into, like, the whole second part of our episode. Yeah. We do have some non-Taylor-related things to it's talk true, about it's for true. you. But everything goes back to her. It's true. Oh, it also, does. I want to know. All I roads know. lead to Taylor Swift. <laughs> All roads lead to Taylor Swift. And, you know, that is a thesis of this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But something I want to note is that me and Renaissance are both wearing our red-themed looks right now. And if you want to see yeah. them, you should join our Patreon. We did a $1 tier limited edition. It'll be limited edition all the way till, I think, maybe, like, November. Maybe we'll get rid of the tier. Maybe we'll keep it depending on how many people choose to join but we mm-hmm. initially started this one dollar tier in order for our fans our listeners to come stream uh red taylor's version when it drops with us and that was a lot of fun um i had a good time and i think some of you guys who joined us did as well so please uh-huh. check out our patreon that way you can get like ex- bonus content and then also the video content and video recordings of all of our podcast episodes and then you can get all the episodes in advance as well and other like we, we have like stickers from there and you know other little things so you should go check it out patreon.com slash lavender menace okay don't want that plug but let's just get into the three major parts of this podcast the segments that we go uh that we that we get through in every episode if you're not familiar the first section that we talk about is uh, a hot take submitted by a listener or a couple hot takes like today we have quite a few to get through that we want to touch on because a lot of them are like we thought were really interesting and we really really appreciate everyone who sends us hot takes like we appreciate it so much love interacting with you guys um you can email us an extended hot take at the lavender menace podcast at gmail.com or on socials at the lavender pod we talk Uh, about a hot take and then the second part is us discussing a piece of media that we consumed and of course this week it's red taylor's version and also all the media that came along with it uh, for example the all too well short short film film. and the various interviews (laughs) taylor has done and of course our thoughts and reflections on that and then finally we will we end every podcast episode by recommending media to each other so that is what we're going to be doing today renaissance do you want to start us off with the instagram dm that we got yes i will so this was should i say the handle or the name yeah the name is uh so this was sent to us by at basha's diary basha is the name i believe of the person who sent us basha said hi i love your podcast and they're always looking for hot takes we are um (laughs) i don't personally believe this but i saw it on someone else's story and thought i should send it your way And so the 
the OP, the original post, is this, like, meme probably originated from anime. It's one of those things where a character is, like, holding up a sign and then people, Uh (laughs) like, erase what's originally on the sign and write it. So the context of the image doesn't really matter. It's just a statement. It's really the text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put that into context. Compet is not a lesbian-exclusive experience, is what the post said, and Basha sent this for Sunny and I to discuss. So, yeah. Sunny, what, I, what are your <laughs> Well, Basha said that this person, Basha doesn't agree with this, and I would mm-hmm. have to, I would also agree that this take is just incorrect, because obviously compulsory heterosexuality as an idea, like, was formed uh, as something specific to the lesbian experience. It's like a word attributed to that specifically, um, and exclusively, obviously, but... Um, and I'm, I think that is also what Renaissance... Do you agree? What are your thoughts? Oh, I completely agree with you, not yeah. the OP. Not the, right. In that the same thing has happened to femme, femme. which we're also going to get into, Ugh. butch, or mm-hmm. even, like, mask as, like, a, as, a, as a short... Not masculine, obviously. In the same way that, like, feminine is just mm-hmm. a word. But yeah. femme yeah. and butch and stud... And these Uh words have always and historically been lesbian words Uh that are just not being a, that are are being, are, that are being brought into the sapphic community at large Mm -hmm. when like, yes, and we said this last week, multiple, multiple times, Mm -hmm. lesbians are obviously in community with sapphics, but that doesn't mean that we don't have our own exclusive experiences. Exactly. And the thing with, is that Compet, which again, the, because they have this i'm like i don't think you know what these words mean yeah referencing uh, our last episode which is season three episode one where we yeah. reiterate that many of you bitches do not know what words mean i think this mm-hmm. is <laughs> this is another case it means compulsory heterosexuality which means that from the get from literal birth because there's like baby onesies that are about heterosexuality mm-hmm. you are taught and told again and again that not only are you heterosexual, but also if you're a lesbian, you're most likely being raised with the assumption that you're going to be attractive, attracted to men. Yeah. And that being attracted to men is inherent to your being. Gender identity and, and gender humanity. Identity. Your purpose in yeah. life, the yeah. goals, like you should plan your career goals around it, marrying a man and mm-hmm. having kids. Yeah, and that is why it is something specific to misogyny-affected people, people who are, mm-hmm. you know, gr- grow up as little girls, like, that type of stuff, because, and, like, womanhood, at quote-unquote, you know, these, it, it's really exclusive even to that. Ad- like, especially mm-hmm. with adolescence, like, mm-hmm. with Or even much later in life. Like, yeah, that like, too. It's, like, so much of womanhood as an identity, and then when you, you know, when you're young and you're growing into womanhood, um, if you're a girl, like, so much of that is tied to what men you like. And the thing about lesbians is that because mm-hmm. we don't like men, but for bi women, like, you know, they like men. They do. What compulsory heterosexuality for them means is that it's not compulsory. They they do engage in liking men. Like, that's okay. And that's okay, like that. That's their sexuality. But for lesbians, it's a lesbian-specific experience because lesbians don't experience attraction to men, but we're socialized to in the way that we are socialized it's like to a be women. Muscle memory, kind of thing. Versus, it's like a, when the whole world is like want. shouting at you, you know, as opposed yeah. to your own internal desires. 
But also, like, it it is difficult to separate what is internal versus what is external because so much of what the external becomes internalized. And, like, that's why so many of these systems exist and, like, entirely human constructs like race and gender and stuff have so much impact on people's lives because these are external forces that are internalized by everyone because it's how systems of power operate, you know? Based on how these systems of power operate, it means that people who are lesbian oftentimes will not know they are lesbians because of compulsory heterosexuality in a way that like for Mm -hmm. a lot of gay men and for a lot of gay boys like an experience that I have heard a lot more often than I have from my lesbian friends is that they've known that they were gay like since they were like three or four or five or whatever right because when you're a man or when you're a boy you are socialized as like the default gender right like you are like a person first before you are a boy for girls you are a girl first obviously there's the institution of heterosexism there where like boys young boys are encouraged to like kiss girls and whatever you know like that that imposed heterosexuality but because they are men as a class view women and people who aren't men as almost like chess pieces or or objects basically at least under patriarchy that's what people who aren't men are to men like that's our relationship to them because of that when you realize that you don't have a genuine desire for what you are supposed to desire like and you are the default the default identity of who gets to desire instead of who is desired then like of course you're not going to experience what lesbians experience which is the misogyny of being a girl um and also the heterosexism of the and world also at just large. like the economic the economic implications the social implications the way that so many spaces at a certain point that are targeted for women are about motherhood and being mm-hmm. a wife to a man. Like these mm-hmm. are like it's domestic and, tasks and, also how you and reproductive your, labor. Like. And how you relate to the other women in your family mm-hmm. who, you mm-hmm. know, and how you're able to maintain those relationships when the center of your life is not being married to a man. I think there are conversations, like Sunny said, when, you know, the relationship between the external and the internal, even for all misogyny affected people mm-hmm. who experience attraction to men, how much of that is being told mm-hmm. you should be attracted to this man versus am I attracted to this man? Mm-hmm. And I think there are there's space for that conversation. I think there's mm-hmm. validity in just even asking people mm-hmm. who and why are you attracted to mm-hmm. men as a way to talk about heterosexism Mm -hmm. like in general Mm -hmm. however i don't think that co-opting the language of compulsory heterosexuality is necessary or needed Mm -hmm. for that conversation and it's another way that is just perpetrating lesbian actual lesbian erasure Mm -hmm. while trying to navigate a different conversation Mm -hmm. so i'm not necessarily against op's point Mm -hmm. in terms of like Sure, all misogyny affected people who experience attraction to men, mm-hmm. a degree of that is going to be just because you were told that this is something you're supposed to do. I don't think it's necessary to use compulsory yeah, heterosexuality to portray that point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. this also goes back to the way that we use language and how intentionally we have to go about it and the way that like social media can twist it in a lot of ways it made me think about this like twitter interaction i had earlier today where the feminist the anti-rape activist wagatwe um i'm sure like you've heard of she made a tweet today like a thread talking about the male gaze and the way that like quote unquote tiktok feminists are talking about it as if like women 
women's choices to look a certain way is for the male gaze or not and how male gaze as a term and as a phrase is film theory and it's like it's it's a way of analyzing media and it's not a way of like living life and you know how you go about your day-to-day stuff and I quote retweeted that with like a thread where I was talking about how like I get where Wagatwe is coming from because yeah, like yes, it is weird to associate every single thing that women individually choose to do with like men, but also like that is kind of how patriarchy operates in a way that you know whether you acknowledge it or not is a reality. And also like people are taught using this term male gaze to describe the specific experience of existing in a world where you are told and you are raised to be something pretty to look at for men, right? So the phrase male gaze is then used because that is how a lot of people navigate the world and and that is the way that everyone experiences it. Like you can't escape patriarchy in a patriarchal world. So obviously all of your decisions are going to be a reaction to patriarchy existing, whether you wear makeup or not, whether you shave or don't, whether you, like all of these things, even your natural state, right? When you're not wearing makeup, when you're not dressed up, when you're not shaved, that is still seen as an act against patriarchy, just the act of not being. So like when people are talking about not dressing for the male gaze or dressing for the male gaze, like whatever, you know, like obviously your individual fashion decisions in your day-to-day life have nothing to do with this term male gaze as it was originally you know created but a lot of these people are using this term because to them it describes their experiences i think in a similar way people are trying to argue that compulsory heterosexuality is a term that can be used to describe their own experiences even though they are not a lesbian because we live in a heterosexist society like we we live in a cis heterosexist society so you're going to face compulsory like it's going to be something that you don't choose to you're going to face the imposed heterosexism of the world and because that's what people are thinking about then they use the term compulsory heterosexuality not knowing that it is specific to the lesbian experience and it's describing a unique experience from within that framework the same way that like when you talk about the male gaze like that term is supposed to be like originally supposed to be used as like a film theory critical analysis sort of like phrase not a way of describing your individual decisions in your day-to-day life like your life is not a movie so you're you're like you're not being filmed so like there's no actual gaze there there's no audience i remember this trend on tiktok tiktok trends come and go so Indeed. it was, you know, it has come and Touch gone. And but like go. the the trend of those people being like, oh, here are pictures of me when I was dressing for the male gaze, and here are pictures of me after. And people who have studied film and TV analysis, such as moi, a fucking nerd, and I've actually read pieces about the male gaze. Like you said, you can't really stop dressing for the male gaze because yeah. everyone does. In terms of in terms of how they are using the words, like yeah. there is what no they mean by saying male gaze. male gaze. Yeah, like there's no. They're saying I'm not dressing for no men. I'm dressing for me. That. But it's like everyone's dressing for men because men but, rule the fucking world. But then also with that, it's like in the same way that I think that there is space to be had about those conversations without using the term male gaze is very parallel to yes, there are 
conversation to be had about what does even being attracted to men look like and mean without using the language of compulsory heterosexuality because the majority of directors have been men <laughs> that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the key aspect yeah they are and the how do they film the women the, how, how do they film women's relationships they, to other women and men that's why the bechdel and, test and exists as in bechdel you know like when known lesbian the male gaze is like when you see nude women do you see her face if you don't that's an issue mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's because not only is the director able to dehumanize bodies mm-hmm. as as the control of the camera you see mm-hmm. within that frame that yeah. frame it is, is objectification that yes that is what is being referenced when it is the male gaze but it's not only the director because the audience yeah who is the intended audience for this film other men why mm-hmm. do you not see the faces of bodies and movies it's so that those men can project who they want to mm-hmm. like metaphorically or whatever like fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> they men as the director is able to take away the humanity of the per- of the real person that they're filming in mm-hmm. order to over sexualize them but then the male audience members are also able to have this guiltless gaze of mm-hmm. oh, it's not my fault that's the way that mm-hmm. the movie was made. Mm-hmm. Even though it's made by them and for by them. That mm-hmm. is what the male gaze is for. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are conversations to be... And, and that's what that term. That's how that term is used right. in like visual media analysis mm-hmm. forms. So that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Is treating the camera as the eyes of men. Both mm-hmm. in the director and the audience. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that there aren't... There should be conversations about mm-hmm. how much does our choice for presentation, mm-hmm. how much of that is influenced by the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Again, I think people are hearing a word, mm-hmm. not knowing what it means, mm-hmm. not knowing where it comes from. And using from, it. Saying, mm-hmm. oh, that, that sounds like what I want to say. Yeah. And just adopting it without the context from where that phrase comes from. Yeah. And this is why if you are in college, um, do your reading. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is why if, regardless of, you know, how old you are, mm-hmm. what you do in life, like, this is why reading is important because otherwise yeah. words do not have meaning. But words like, the thing only... is, is that I have a feeling that it's like because there has been such an influx of this like high school to college <laughs> industry oh, yeah. uh-huh. that like there's like right like right now and our you mm-hmm. know the people who listen to our podcast us as pe- people in the system there's so many people in their 20s and have millennials to now mm-hmm. of you just go to college with people who mm-hmm. in any other circumstance would not have just gone to college and would have been able mm-hmm. to get just a perfectly fine job without yeah. going to college yeah there's yeah. i go to school with people who are not passionate about being mm-hmm. college students which i'm not mm-hmm. holding that against them mm-hmm. but when they then go and make posts using language that they heard in their intro to film studies class and don't <laughs> didn't yeah. do the reading and yeah. then have vi- make viral content about yeah. that. I yeah. think that that's like it's a frustrating. Very, a very particular like phenomenon that's happening in this time. No, for sure. Yeah, I definitely and agree. so then it kind of like feeds that, especially when so many of these trends are being done by young women in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like and and young women of a particular class. Mm-hmm. I think that it's like not a very far assumption. And the people who learn mm-hmm. about this online without having access to college classes at all, yeah, are learning about it from the people, Those people. who are in college yeah. who make these. 
posts. Does yeah. that make sense? Back to the situation we were discussing in last week's episode of Sunny going hashtag viral in a bad way. Um, one of the videos that like got m- tens of millions of views and like hu- and like millions of fucking likes, which is just truly insane to me. I think it was like at Julia Powell or something, and she's like you know like you know some white lady, and she was making a post talking about just just liberal choice feminist bullshit, right? And my friend, I was like banned off TikTok at this point, so my friends were like looking at the comments and oomphies were sent, were sending me screenshots of the way that when people were in the comments being like this is not what this means like the words you are saying have meanings that you do not comprehend and you are like this rhetoric is detrimental to, to feminism as a movement because you're defining feminism as something that it is not people were in the comments being mm-hmm. like Y'all need to read some fucking feminist theory. Like, read some black feminists. Read some Marxist feminists. Like, read I was some... one of them. I was right, one like, of them. Just, just some, read some fucking feminist text. Like, there's a reason why there are hundreds of years of study and writing on this shit. You think you were the first person to think about gender equality? No, bitch. A thousand years ago, people were talking about this. Like, this is insane to me that you think that you can have every idea in the world. Or you, you, there's enough knowledge that you know that you are able to speak about something. And there are no, no sources you are citing. The sources you're citing are things that you've thought of or looked at on Instagram. Like, girl, no, you need a comprehensive education if you want to talk about this shit that is fundamentally nuanced and you're trying to address in a comprehensive manner like you're just talking out of your ass like it's it's disgraceful honestly it's like this Mm. is why i think the way that the treatment of like the studies of the study of humanities versus the study of like science and technology is so interesting because science and technology and math and stuff is like treated with so much there's so much educational push for people to do that and students to learn about this whereas with the humanities which are also very valuable to the world because it is all about studying the world and how it works is not seen as a formal academic study it's not seen as like an actual thing you need to have an education in which is why people can have the most blandest fucking takes on race and gender the most fourth grader ass middle of kid middle of nowhere iowa takes on this shit and think that they are making some profound fucking statement like it's because you guys don't think of these fields of study as legitimate things you should on women and gender studies majors and sociology students because you don't get it like you don't even you can't even begin to understand the ways that people have been academically and statistically and like in film and media and literature breaking down all of these systems for so many years for all of human history human history like humanity has not exist where art has not been made humanity has not exist where the human relations have not been fundamental to how society works like you guys are fucking stupid for trying to dismiss art art criticism and the ways that we analyze society in in favor of feeding the capitalist machine with like you know a fucking robot workers that can operate the the tesla factory machine like girl it is, mm-hmm. and, and you know, work for Raytheon and shit and engineer bombs for kids in the Middle East. Like, you guys are fucking insane to, th- to, to, to have these two ideologies of I am right about everything in regards to race and gender and everything that I say. And also, I don't need to read because people kept on responding to those comments being like, no, I'm not going to read. No, no, no. Girl, what is wrong with you? Like, you have so much audacity right now. So that's only part one. <laughs> yes, we have more hot takes to get through. It's true. So the next hot take that we have here is from Jude, who uses they, he pronouns. 
and their message says, Hi Sunny and Renaissance, my name is Jude, they, he, and I'm from Ireland. I'm a cancer, a non-binary lesbian, and a new fan of the podcast. I actually discovered the podcast after finding Sunny's TikTok because of the bisexual discourse, and I thought I'd send you something you might find funny. I don't know if you've come across the Instagram account at Clementine Morgan before, but I've attached one of her posts that I screenshotted a while ago because I found it both insane and hilarious. As a butch, I think that the idea that femme for femme desire is considered taboo or suspicious is weird considering that that's the kind of lesbian relationship we're most likely to see in media. I love to hear your reaction to this post in particular. P.S. I'm also a pretty new Taylor Swift fan. Folklore and Evermore converted me, so I'm really enjoying your reactions to and in-depth analysis of Red Taylor's version on Twitter. <laughs> Well, first of all, thank you so much. We love Ireland. We love cancer as well. I do, and we love non-binary lesbians. I love cancers so. as well. Yeah, whatever. No. <laughs> uh, oh the the post that they sent was. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually <laughs> wild. It's like, it is. It's actually, like a roller coaster to read out okay. loud. And like, so I'll not say for work content guys don't play this around your mom it's white text on top of a black background and it says being a non-monogamous bisexual with femme for femme leanings and a really strong desire to choke out on cock makes me feel like the stereotypical bad bisexual my desires are so easily swept up into narratives of performing desire for a heterosexual male audience femme for femme is suspicious cock sucking is suspicious bisexuality is suspicious not being super into head is suspicious period end of state girl this has 613 the, likes what is what the only thing that i agree with here is that bisexuality is suspicious but besides that <laughs> please aside from the obvious correct point uh, uh. i <laughs> we're gonna get like canceled we're not beating we're, we are not show. beating the biphobia allegations ever okay, the, but, but listen, if you act Taylor like Swift this, not if a you suspicious act- bisexual, <laughs> she's very I sus. Think Taylor Swift she is, is sus. The peak of, of suspicious bisexual. Suspicious bisexuality. The amount of so, TikTok uh, and Twitter discourse that's been going on right now um, about the fucking about about the song um, the very first night where uh, she talks. She, she ends the verse with Polaroid picture, and then it's like you'll never know how much I miss you missed ya missed her have you seen this her. have you seen this discourse i've her. been seeing oh, it fucking I, everywhere of, oh so you posted it on on our tiktok but like uh i think the day well i'm asking like i'm acting like red has been out for like weeks but like whatever <laughs> day number of hours before you posted it on the podcast twitter oomph, oomph a big oomph of the podcast jess who i've mentioned in like the solar pa- power episode and we're haters together uh they sent it to me and was like content (laughs) i was like exactly so this has been brought to our attention many a times before because thing is is that someone as as genius of a lyricist Mm -hmm. as taylor swift is Mm -hmm. not going to she can find so many ways to portray that sentiment with Mm -hmm. a much like her taylor swift Replacing mm-hmm. her with you, but keeping mm-hmm. the picture line 
uh-huh. implies so that she wants us to know <laughs> that she is sapphic. Like, uh. like that in itself. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, Taylor Swift is insane with these with these um, Easter eggs." Until it comes to her coming out as bisexual, and then all of a sudden, y'all have never seen an Easter egg in your life. So, <laughs> oh, anyways, yeah. but that's that's aside from the point. Let's get back to the truly roller coaster <laughs> hodgepodge. It's like word gumbo. Like I don't no, even like, know. This like, is why words mean things. Because what like the, the fuck like is this, this? Post is the essence of. Sunny and I saying, y'all just throw words at things without knowing what they mean. Because yeah. every single... Okay. Let's, I, I think we should start... Let's with, unpack like, this. Pop. Let's fucking... Okay, if it's a bisexual femme for femme leanings, who's the other femme? Who's the, who's the that, femme? Okay, who's I the femme? Because, like, for, for people who are not looking at this post, obviously, the femme for femme is spelled F-E-M-M-E for F-E-M-M-E. So, it's not like feminine people being attracted to other feminine people it's femme for femme which Mm -hmm. even that that blank for blank is like already like why are you using that yeah but like genuinely who is the other femme like that was my first thought when reading this i'm like if you're bisexual how are you getting two femmes in this situation (laughs) where's the bisexual with Mm -hmm. femme for femme leanings Uh uh-huh every single thing in that should not what does that mean what does that, that mean? mean? Like, this doesn't also, ha- <laughs> Okay, so aside from that, a really strong desire to choke out on cock. Now, I know that I'm not someone who is having a sex frequently, I, but even in conversation, <laughs> what does choke out on cock mean? I've never even heard that. Like, in any... I, I, I think I've heard of choke on cock. I think. Yeah, I think I've heard that too. Even the phrasing choke out, I've never, like, you choke out someone else, but that's not how it's, (laughs) that's not how it's, like, linguistically, that's not how that works. So, like, I have have questions linguistically, I have questions sociologically, I have questions in terms of what the fuck is going on here. Like, there's there's various implications of the wording of this. Yeah. Uh, this is okay, suspicious. But, the whole post is suspicious. <laughs> yeah, this, the post is suspicious. If you happen to be bisexual, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> this yeah. post is so suspicious. But, uh. so then, these things couple... No, I'm really break, breaking this down on an atomic <laughs> level, trying to understand this. Because the... So, first of all, what is femme for femme leanings? I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure what that means. But then mm-hmm. that paired with, with, obviously, the phallic desire. Yes. How does that combined to make a stereotypically bad bisexual especially when the first one is non-monogamous so like is is it the fact that you like feminine are non-monogamous and you like what you're saying is that you feel like you are a quote-unquote bad bisexual because bad because bisexual women are seen as like slutty re you're non-monogamous and also seen as only liking really feminine women and real only and like, wanting and then, violent 
and yeah, dominant men. Sex. Yeah, like okay. is that what you're saying? I think that's what is being implied here. But it's like, oh, if you okay, if, but the leaps and bounds, the fucking yeah. cross country <laughs> track that we're running to try and make <laughs> get sense to of that this? point. Like, girl, like we <sighs> we're literally okay. This is us. This if you want to know what engaging in insanity posts in good faith looks like, it's what Sunny and I are doing right now. We are trying <laughs> to engage in this with as we're much good faith as possible. We're trying it, to get it. It simply <laughs> doesn't make sense. Like, it actually doesn't make sense. And we know, okay. But so, I think I get what she's saying here when she says, oh, wait, is it she? I, I presume, because femme for femme. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, like, the wanting, I hate the word cock, but wanting <laughs> cock and also feeling bad about it is giving the heterosexual male right yeah Yeah. anyway so clementine morrigan and it looks like this person was white too so mm, okay it looks like (laughs) you were making up shit to be mad about that's what it looks like to me because the fact that you you have a like this person has enough self-awareness to make the point that quote my desires are so easily swept up into narratives of performing desire for a heterosexual male audience end quote but if you can recognize that the fact that you are non-monogamous, only like sapphics who are really femme and want to date men who are violent towards you sexually, and then you come to the conclusion that you are thus performing, like you feel like other people think that you are performing heteros- for a heterosexual male audience... I think that is a lot of projection going on and a lot of, a, a lot of, there's no inner work going on. You're making this, and you're making, this is the whole thing about the bisexual biphobia discourse. Y'all are making shit our problem when that is between you and your fucking therapist. Like, that is between you <laughs> and your journal. Like, you need, like, if th- your relationship to your own identity is about you and if it's not related mm-hmm. to these larger systems of power at play when lesbians talk about our relationships to lesbian identity it's because lesbianism itself is is like you know existing at the axis of these forms of oppression but you talking about the type of sex that you like and then the type of people you want to date and how those kind of align with how patriarchy already operates like why are you making this our problem (laughs) there's a lot of implications being had here because femme for femme these two things are being posed as like diametrically opposed so either you can date a very feminine presenting person or i hate the phrasing choke out on cock but like that's literally (laughs) the verbiage that was given to us but like 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 a, a, a violent sex with someone who has a penis Mm -hmm. these things are being posed as diametrically opposed which like they don't necessarily have to be yeah um but also it is kind of going back to like our first biphobia episode of like Mm -hmm. you see dating lesbians and sapphics as this Mm -hmm. pretty safe like girly non-sexual non-real like non-person you're just besties kind of but yeah you're friends but close (laughs) center penis so heavily in your relationships in period with with men Mm -hmm. like like why is Mm -hmm. is the sexual acts that you do together so mm-hmm. central and so separate from any other relationship that you have with people mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. B- dating like obviously having this desire proves that you experience sexuality in the way of wanting to have sex with people mm-hmm. but yet that is never in in the same 
air mm-hmm. of of your own sapphism. Mm-hmm. So I think that like there's a lot to unpack yeah. there, and yeah. also how you view bisexuality. Like, yeah. is bisexuality because, to right. you liking feminine people and wanting to have sex with penises? Yeah, because that's also to not dick. what it is. Like this, this is weird because what there's mm-hmm. there's mention the 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 people that are mentioned here is femme and then heterosexual mm-hmm. male audience. Those are the only two sort of like those are the two people that are mentioned. Right, everything yeah. else is like a descriptor, and so what you're basically equate, but like in contrasting femme for femme leanings and then really strong desire to choke out on cock when you're <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face as Taylor Swift said I can't even say it with a straight face um, <laughs> contrasting so these two things is so fucking weird to me because like, why do you think those are the two element or like the endpoints of the spectrum of your sexuality because do yeah. you think having sex with you, it's, it's really weird because you're equating sex with men as sucking dick like what that's so weird like like you're like a that lot. language that language itself is playing into this uh, mm-hmm. heterosexism and cis heterosexism as as an institution swept, swept up into narrative into... babe no one is talking about you like i <laughs> promise you no one is doing their doctoral yeah. thesis <laughs> on your sexuality you. And your sexuality. Uh, you're so the only you one thinking things, about this. I don't know how to tell you this, babe, but, like, none of us have a take on this, really, because this is about your relationship no. with yourself. And like, girl. The desires are so easily swept... Like, so if you're talking about how there are people who are comfortable making out with girls, but they only mm-hmm. make out with girls in the presence of, of guys for, for that, mm-hmm. if you... That's not inherently bisexuality so if you happen mm-hmm. to be bisexual and you feel that you are perpetrating that behavior that is not being swept up into narratives about performing mm-hmm. sexuality for a heterosexual mm-hmm. male audience that mm-hmm. is something that is in inter- that is completely internal with you mm-hmm. and interpersonal with how you interact how mm-hmm. you have sexual relationships with other people yeah that isn't really a general conversation that's being had yeah. in the community apart yeah. from things that are already about why is sex with men so violent like that is already a separate conversation but that doesn't really have anything to do with being non-monogamous bisexual liking mm-hmm. feminine sapphics mm-hmm. um but then also to get into like the the third part the third chunk <laughs> of the, all the of three this, acts there's this, yeah there's this kind of like almost slam poetry ending <laughs> to this whole thing and this conclusion uh, that's trying to be brought is yeah. femme for femme is suspicious not really it's over normalized i think yeah. the representation yeah. for it is abundant um it's definitely more accessible than look finding any content that has to do with uh two butches butches being in love Mm -hmm. or studs being in love or Mm -hmm. or masked lesbians for sure Mm -hmm. but the use of the word suspicious here is is weird (laughs) (laughs) no exactly I'm not exactly. I, I suspicious to whom? I get. Well, I guess what this person is trying to say is that it's suspicious to of themselves. Queer, Are or they no, it's viewing a, themselves and their own desires as suspicious? I think what they're saying is that cocksucking. Okay, wait. <laughs> femme for femme being suspicious. Cocksucking being suspicious. Bisexuality being suspicious. What they're saying with these three things is that it's suspicious to 
queer people, I think, to the queer community because it plays in it because, like they said, it plays into a performing desire for a heterosexual male audience. Oh, is so what I they guess think. like these, like these desires need to be extra. Have a higher level of of questioning because they mm-hmm. are so easily adaptable to mm-hmm. the heterosexual male audience mm-hmm. yeah the like how much of, again with again with our discussion questioned. of externalized versus internalized desires of like yeah you know what is the external for like do you really want to have violent sex or is this just like i don't know the way that the how society lives do you really only think that feminine sapphics are attractive and like really only want to date feminine sapphics or is that because we live in a society that only views women as valuable and attractive and thus valuable as a person when like they it's look a certain a lot of, way like, internalized it's internalized misogyny it's internalized narrative sexism <laughs> it's a lot of lesbophobia going yeah. on here like i have yet to see any sort of discourse about bisexuality from bisexuals that isn't explicitly lesbophobic because this is giving that like it's it's because when yeah. you when you follow the logic to its natural to its like conclusion it's giving wow i hate dykes hate me so much because i like this when it's like no dykes do not hate you for this we are we we we're confused like what does this mean like i feel like they're almost invalidating themselves with bisexuality Mm -hmm. suspicious bisexuality Mm -hmm. is not suspicious and i mean i know i made the joke at the top of it but like, (laughs) like in terms of like yeah. It's validity of like or or your ability to be queer and bisexual mm-hmm. is 100 mm-hmm. percent um however having insecurities that come from being queer or having mm-hmm. insecurities about your own interpersonal relationship to the community around you mm-hmm. that is something that is internal or mm-hmm. interpersonal and not something mm-hmm. that is really this overarching systemic community based yeah anything of, of that sort so it doesn't really make sense to place the responsibility of analyzing these things on other people yeah like if really. is this, if the if and the, also just the curveball at the end that is not <laughs> being super into head is suspicious out of left okay so i have multiple are you saying that you don't this. like to eat pussy is that what you're saying Wait, okay what? this is the thing because i'm like you just <laughs> said you had a very strong desire to choke out on co- like that's the words you used. okay right 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 in my mind i i assumed that mm-hmm. any form of oral sex was also uh-huh. known as as head either giving or yeah. receiving yeah so, so do not like then be- this what do they not like receiving head? So are they? Yeah. Are they? Is the guilt coming from that they enjoy fellatio <laughs> and don't necessarily <laughs> and feel guilty for enjoying that in a way that can be entertaining uh. to an audience, but don't necessarily are not. Also, what does into mean? But anyways, but not and it, and it doesn't say not being super into receiving or giving there's there's no it just says into head is suspicious but like you just said you are very much very clearly into head so i'm not really sure what that suspicion is from oh my god this person runs a podcast <laughs> i just looked at, i don't they don't have their pronouns who are up they in here. i they have eighty thousand followers on instagram girl 
Like Oh, they have an audience. And then audience. wait, this is actually so funny because one of the most recent posts is interpersonal conflict is not entertainment for strangers on the internet to consume. Girl, my you're op- making it my problem though. My <laughs> opposition to cancel wait, what are you my opposition to cancel culture and my opposition to racism are connected. Um, nope. Already wrong. If what? you think somehow racism has anything to do trauma, with trauma, I'm what looking is- at their link tree. Trauma informed polyamory. Parentheses. Workshop. I'm going to beat what you. What? I can't. What? Okay. Polycon. This is Canada, getting wilder and wilder than like. What the hell? Okay, this is insane. Oh my god! And they have Since a fifty they have a podcast. They have like fifty dollar like, membership level on Patreon, and they have so they're not for the proletariat. They have one hundred fifty-nine patrons. We are leftists who have spent many years inside the Nexus. What is wrong with you? Wait, I, they say that they, they yes, that's it. That is in. That is it. Okay, it says. Fucking Cancelled is a podcast with three aims. First, we analyze and critique a phenomenon on the left that we call Nexus, a synthesis of identitarianism, social media, and cancel culture. Second, we offer emotional, spiritual, and ethical insights into the process of rejecting and exiting the Nexus. Third, we move toward a different vision for the left grounded in solidarity, freedom, and responsibility. This sounds like a white version of the podcast, allegedly, that my friends run, and I was a guest on, and an episode will be coming up uh, later on this uh, not run white not period. run by white millennials run by people of color who know yeah. what the fuck they're talking about and have actually no, like, this red one, lemon whoever like, clementine who, what is, yeah clementine it's girl, giving hello? white clementine says i teach other online workshops like bisexual girls with baggage and disorganized attachment is a fucking trip i am an eco-socialist an anarchist an abolitionist an opposer of cancel culture a trauma educated wait no it gets worse a trauma educator sex educator (laughs) a person living with complex ptsd a sober alcoholic a polyamorous bisexual dyke and proud dog mom whoa 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 whoa, whoa, what what? That escalated there's, so fast. There's no way that this isn't a bit. We have like we what? have to have accidentally walked into a bit. And I have I'm, just been looking through this shit. Try this rabbit hole that we've gone down is crazy. Oh, rabbit hole, Wonderland, 1989, Taylor Swift. Anyway, in conclusion, because this she runs a she calls herself a bisexual dyke. What does that mean? And she it's giving lesbian, which we already have a whole episode about. Lesbians so. and and and. And the fact, oh, oh my god, and the fact that she, I'm just, I'm shivering, I'm shaking, I'm throwing up, um, I'm disgusted, and the fact that she runs this thing called, like, bisexual girls or whatever, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say she's a girl, and so now I'm gonna make, yeah. the, I've been looking through all this shit to try to, to make sure that I'm not being problematic in the way that I'm about to generalize this person. I think white <laughs> right. cis, This is, wait, hold on, before you go. This uh-huh. is giving the one TikTok where, like, I'm not completely ethical, but I am fair. Or, like, from yeah. Lady Gaga, yeah. where it's like, when I look up someone's pronouns mm-hmm. before I shit talk them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This so, is us right now. Literally, because this person, this girl, this fucking cis, white, bisexual, millennial woman who calls mm-hmm. herself a dog mom anarchist... We need to abolish this kind of person. Like, we need, like, we, gulags, we need them back. Patreon, stop. Stop r- putting your shitty writing on Patreon, putting a paywall behind it. Like, it's different from mm-hmm. me and Renaissance because we actually have intelligent takes and we are funny and smart and we don't make And posts. also, our shit 
is affordable and we do yeah. a lot of shit for free and like our, most of our shit most of our <laughs> shit is com- all of our shit is coming from out of our own fucking pockets like i pay 13 dollars yeah. every month out of my own pocket to get this shit up for y'all yeah. anyways to answer the question that um jude <laughs> jude had provided it of talking about yeah. the idea that femme for femme desires considered taboo or suspicious is weird considering that yeah, like i 100 percent agree i think femmes should be more ashamed. 100%. Like, I think I think femmes need to stop being so loud because y'all are nowhere near. Like, we are nowhere near as oppressed but, as much people. Like, we are not gender not conforming in in the no. way that people perceive us as girly girls. Like, even if that's not what we are, you know what I mean? Like, and and that there's privilege in that. There's privilege in passing as a trans person. There's privilege in being perceived as a cis girl, even if you're not. Like you, like it is so weird that when someone is visibly gender not conforming, even if they only use she/her pronouns, only even if it's a butch lesbian who is just a cis woman, like. And people can view them as gender non-conforming. There is violence in that. That people cannot, other people cannot. We, we, we just will never know, you know? Like, so it's just insane to me that people can come to this conclusion. Because it's just like, the thing is, is that like, as a femme, and I mean like, not a feminine person. I mean, as a A femme, femme lesbian. Lesbian. Not a bi-lesbian. <laughs> I've had real conversations mm-hmm. about how like, my responsibility as a femme is to love and support butch lesbians. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they are, to me, They're the fucking very, backbone of this community. And every single they're... lesbian that I met before the age mm-hmm. of 13 was butch. And every lesbian that I know over the age of 35 is butch. Like, the fact that I know so many butch lesbians, but there's so little butch lesbian representation in the media, is, like, it, it does not make sense to me in my life, you know? So it's just, like, (laughs) this idea that somehow femme for femme is suspicious, no. No, that's the default. That is possibly the the most most vanilla shit. In terms of sapphic relationships, Uh uh that's almost the only acceptable Acceptable. one Mm -hmm. to have. Mm -hmm. So there's really no suspicion in it, especially if you are in a kind of, like, metropolitan, like, places that host Mm -hmm. pride parades, you Mm -hmm. know, like, like those kinds of cities. That this is going to be what is the norm because right. even in those cities, butch lesbians, masks, mm-hmm. studs, mm-hmm. they are still going to be susceptible to violence in those mm-hmm. spaces. So it doesn't really make sense to mm-hmm. position femme for femme as taboo, an oppressed identity, oppressed, wrong, sort of, yeah, questionable. Girl, yeah, no, that's not, no, what, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. And also, it's, it, ha- bisexuality. We say this time and time again. You are the majority of yeah. the queer community. I was looking up statistics for this today to, to quote retweet someone because I mm-hmm. was getting so fucking fed up. And in the U.S., mm-hmm. 1.7% of men identify as bisexual or gay. And 1.8% of women identify as bisexual or gay. And over 50% of of both of these studied genders of these you know of the data they collected were by were bisexual like of com- with you combine when you combine all the numbers over 50 percent of these people identified as bisexual so exactly th- this is i i don't guys so this posing of bisexuality to be underground underrepresented <laughs> highly criticized uh. highly scrutinized Babe, the call is coming from inside the house. Mm-hmm. Talk to each other. Mm-hmm. 
literally mm-hmm. every queer space is welcoming to bisexuals. You're going to mm-hmm. find multiple bisexuals there mm-hmm. because the majority of the queer people are bi. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you're going to be in a room with other queer people, most likely there are going to be other queer people there. So if you want to talk about your desires sexually or romantically in the spaces of queer, either away from, because the, the other named audience is heterosexual male audience. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have these conversations about desire without heterosexuality present and with other bisexuals, mm-hmm. that's going to be a very accessible space mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to to join that's especially if you're in these kind of areas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these internal the, the internal conflicts being externalized in this way is just absolutely insane to me because i think they f- i feel i think a lot of these people feel emboldened to be able to do this because they see how lesbians have been more vocal lately online talking about the ways that we have and been- by that it's the two of us no we yeah well, no, 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 like the, the trends of like people being oh, yeah, like yeah. of people being like i realized i was a lesbian even though i'm 35 and have multiple children and it's like th- this is yeah. the process through which i understand that but the thing is is that like for the rest of y'all for the rest of you bitches the thing is is that you, you are not lesbians so stop trying to make hot takes that are parallel to it because you simply cannot compare that is not a comparable experience do not compete where you do not compare like just don't because you'll never face the level of violence uh, and the level of like fuck of scrutiny and intense like self-hatred and and challenges that 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 someone just the questioning just Mm -hmm. the era of confusion because there is a distinct difference in delineating and figuring out the self-detective work mm-hmm. of do I like girls or not? Or do I like women or not? Like, mm-hmm. depending on your age when you're questioning this. That, it's kind of, it's fun. Girls are pretty. Yeah. Girls are, like, yeah. like any form yeah. of sapphic you are, finding out that you like girls. Like, obviously, if you come from, like, a very homophobic town or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it can be very difficult to maneuver. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's kind of a fun, mm-hmm. a fun realization. Mm-hmm. having to sit with the weight of the question do i like men is just something so that much harder if you don't have to go through it you will simply never understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's just it in the same way that even like white people who are have you know experienced poverty alongside black people like in their neighborhood will also just will never understand what it means to be impoverished and black Mm-hmm. And what that means. Like, because because poverty is criminalized in the United mm-hmm. States. So regardless of who you are, if you have access to um, housing, mm-hmm. that's going to be criminalized. Mm-hmm. But there's another layer to that of if you are also black and having to mm-hmm. go through that or any mm-hmm. other intersection of that. So, but it's it's not the place to make hot takes if that's not your experience or trying mm-hmm. to make takes that are parallel to that. Mm-hmm. So if you've never had to sit with those kind of questions, obviously the previous example of, of class is a lot of like external factors and sexuality has to do with your relationship to your desires internally, like things mm-hmm. that no one can see. Mm-hmm. If you never had to go through that kind of experience that is a very highly marginalized experience, mm-hmm. it's not really one's place to try and have their own version of that mm-hmm. or desperately cling to having mm-hmm. their own version mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's much more important to just listen to the people that have those experiences. Mm -hmm. It's much more important and valuable for the sapphic community if bisexual sapphics just listen to the experiences of lesbians Mm -hmm. and understand not the experience, but that they will never have that and what Mm -hmm. that means. Mm -hmm. And 
that is much a much more productive space for all mm-hmm. sapphics to occupy yeah. rather than this is the lesbians and this is mine right and this is important why it's so important to talk about positionality and not try to appropriate struggle that you don't have because a lot of times when people are in spaces where they feel like they're not fucking oppressed enough or whatever they start grabbing at words and things so like it's just i don't know i i find i find this frustrating on many levels i think i think it it, it is fundamentally stuff that you have to work on internally and to unpack um but anyway let's move on to the next hot take <laughs> We have, wait, no, no, no. Hot take on people bullying minors over communist cards. If you don't know, a card is like... <laughs> I'm for the abolition of cards. Like, I uh-huh. have been so vocal about this on my Stan Twitter account because there was this, like, viral tweet one time that was like, if you don't have a card, that's a red flag. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm a 20-year-old university student with a job. I'm not... And they're so complicated to make. I'm like, I'm not fucking sitting down and wasting four hours... Like, you're getting a pinned tweet with with thread of tweets. Like, let's just follow them going. You're getting a bio Uh and a pinned tweet. If you want me to do a fucking intro to comp sci midterm (laughs) to get you to follow me, I'm not gonna fucking do it. Like, it's just not happening. But um, anyways, a, a lot of the a lot of the young kids now on Stan Twitter. I talk like a fucking middle aged like mom on Stan Twitter now. It's actually embarrassing. <laughs> a lot of the young kids are doing it, which like is fine. They have the time. What they have like five math problems they have to do a night. So this person says, "I was on Twitter this week, but it might be a few weeks ago now when you'll be seeing this." But I saw yeah. an account post a screenshot of a Stan account's card and captioned it, "You are the most annoying." I have attached the card and tweet in this email for you. The two main points were the person's support for the reunification of Korea and the DPRK, also known as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, also known as North. North Korea um, and being anti-capitalism and liking Dior makeup. This is why I disagree with what people were saying in the quote tweets. Also, let me read you the card. So it says Rue and it says she, her, they, them, 15, black, lesbian, INFP, T, Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, anti-sex work, pro-DPRK, pro-career reunification, Buddhist, atheist, proletariat, feminist, gender binary, abolish, hates men, liberals, non I mean, great start for 15. Yeah. I was not having these takes at 15, so good for them. Negative people, good for her. weirdly rude people, cupcakes, and white chocolate. Like, and then light, loves, euphoria, comfort show, horror, so she's, Suli fashion, yeah. psychology shoes, piercings, models, Pinterest, girls, rosaries, silver jewelry, ballet, Dior makeup, nonfiction books, politics, Anya Taylor-Joy, tattoos, Kento Yamazaki. Okay, this just seems like a normal, like, kid. You know what they I mean? Like, like if, if Sunny and I could have, like, a little sister, or, like, a little yeah. sister, like, some combination... <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. like you know. 15, yeah. This like, is this is our this is our uh, yeah. This is our sister basically, our younger sister. So yes, I yeah. I'm already I'm defending her. It's true. So the first, <laughs> the, no, this is this is now reached into family familial territory. It's true. Yeah. So Emma, the person who emailed us, says this is why I disagree with what people were saying in the quote tweets. One, people who primarily buy Dior are mainly uber wealthy who are helping to continue the exploitation and oppression of the global south. Let the 15-year-old like their $30 Dior lip gloss. <laughs> Two, mm-hmm. another point is that people were arguing against that non-Koreans shouldn't be for Korean reunification because it doesn't concern outsiders. Girl, Korea not being unified is concerning outsiders. It's almost like... Uh, outside it's the invasion. product of Was outsiders, the, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, which is absurd because that goes against liberation and anti-imperialism, and it's what imperialist powers like the U.S. wants you to believe. My friend made a point to say that Zionists make the same point about non-Palestinians supporting the Palestine liberation 
Lebanon from Israel. Some accounts also had the balls to say that sanctions against the DPRK were good, even though they agree that the U.S. does not believe in human rights, but that sanctions against the DPRK protected human rights. Again, I appreciate... possible? Yeah, it's just fucking... Okay, thank you so possible? much, Emma. How or not Emma. Agree? Wait, wait, you're using the email Emma, but it's the thank... Frey. Oh, okay. So... Frey oh. is the name. Okay, cool. Frey. The people that Frey either read or were talking to agree that the U.S. doesn't believe in human rights, but somehow there's this, like, blimp in time where they believe in them enough to think yeah. that sections against the People's Republic of Korea, mm-hmm. that those sanctions against them protect human rights, even though they're coming from an entity that does not believe in human rights. Mm-hmm. That is like a logical tongue twister, self-contradicting Yeah. And it's beast. also weird because like sanctions are all about prohibiting resources from entering a country. So if you want people's mm-hmm. like ability to live in their country to be like maintained sanctions will not do that they kill people sanctions starve people they live like sanctions kill people guys like it is another tool of imperialism and if you're going to be against the military and against imperialism and say that you dislike america and you you know don't don't like capitalism how are you going to make fun of someone for supporting one of the only countries in the world that has socialist policies like and is so isolated from the rest of the world because of the fact that capitalism is the dominant ideology for which the rest of the world operates on this is i feel like this is one of the basics of the things that you gotta do you gotta know if you're gonna describe yourself as a marxist or a communist or a socialist you need to do some reading and some fucking like you need to watch some documentaries about north korea that are not from that are not made by the fucking like fucking nato okay like and CNN. Like, <laughs> like, I was going to say, this is, like, one of the things that when I first got, like, like really into communism, but, like, r- much more, like, oh, this is no aware. longer, like, me. Yeah, because, like, at first I was, like, oh, I just want to know, and, like, people that I like are in these spaces, mm-hmm. and then I also want to be in these spaces. But, like, then once I took it upon myself to be, like, oh, I actually want to become mm-hmm. well-read... There definitely was a point where, like, I def- I was aware that I definitely needed to learn more about North Korea. But, like, trying to Google about North Korea mm-hmm. while living in the United States, mm-hmm. you're not going to mm-hmm. get what you want to get. But the thing is that you have to just look for what you can, mm-hmm. trust, find community, and mm-hmm. also just read what is already available and Mm -hmm. see how that is being applied in real time like Mm -hmm. i'm living in a time in which north korea exists Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm able to read and learn about what i know and then see what's happening Mm -hmm. and look and so this idea that it doesn't concern outsiders the 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 current division of korea you can look at other instances historical and now like this like Mm -hmm. Frey said or or Frey's friend said that made the point that Zionists make the same point about Mm non-Palestinians supporting the Palestinian revolution or liberation Mm -hmm. and revolution Mm -hmm. like that's correct (laughs) you Mm -hmm. can look at other instances to and see Mm -hmm. how that can also be applied Mm -hmm. to Korea since that is just such a a a hard thing to like research especially like if you're not in academia Mm -hmm. or anything like that and you live in in 
the and this is why like what i was saying like the structural gatekeeping of knowledge but also the unwillingness people have to learn about this stuff creates an environment where people are so deeply politically unaware but are so convinced that they are and they are convinced that they are aware because they vote in elections and they watch cnn not knowing that all of this shit is indoctrination you know like being a communist is like being in the fucking Truman Show and looking around being like, damn, that sucks. You know what I mean? Like, it's really, and so then everyone, every time someone says something really stupid or attacks a 15 year old for liking Dior makeup, it's just the the blaming of a 15 year old for the exploitation of the global south for (laughs) wanting a dior while not supporting korea like that is crazy literally crazy to me like first of all at 15 can can understand leftist texts Mm -hmm. that is impressive leave them the frick alone like they i'm like and if they're not, maybe they have parents who mm-hmm. are communists, who are Marxist mm-hmm. and leftists, who have mm-hmm. raised them in this way, that mm-hmm. will grow up to read more or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're also still just living adolescents. They're still mm-hmm. teenagers. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their access to the aesthetics that they find attractive online, like that's kind of like one of the beauties of mm-hmm. online, is that you get to look at pictures. You get to yeah. look at pretty pictures that you want to look at. Mm-hmm. So if they like looking at your products on Pinterest mm-hmm. or ballerinas or models on mm-hmm. Pinterest because they're a teenager and maybe that's what their social Let circle girls have likes interests. to talk about. Y'all hate when young they're, girls have interests. Like, like they're that- literally allowed to. And since they like since they're literally saying at least for this part that their politics are pr- pretty based for a fifteen-year-old, mm-hmm. they're allowed to have interests that yeah, are like, age appropriate yeah, or that it's are appropriate so... the, for a 15 year old girl to have yeah there's and even just the the sheer act of attacking a 15 year old for something like this to me is just so bizarre i mean yeah. i understand that like teenagers fight with each other like it could have uh-huh. very much well been other 15 year olds quote yeah. retweeting about you know their peers uh-huh. card or whatever i mean and they hate men and liberals and not <laughs> so what? it looks where's like the even where's the fucking problem exactly like even if they have haters they don't even care what y'all have to say to begin with because <laughs> if you hate them you're probably a man you're probably a liberal, liberal or probably a lesbian yeah, so yeah. at the end of the day why do you Rue, think you matter rue is a, a son of the podcast like if we're being honest like so i don't see what the issue is yeah i don't yeah. i don't see what the yeah. issue is Agree, agree. And they and they said they hate weirdly rude people. Which if you are which is what y'all are doing to this person, you're literally just weirdly rude people. Yeah, it's true. Y'all, y'all find the weirdest things to be mad about. They also said that they hate cupcakes, so I won't give you a cupcake. But and you're (laughs) some of the podcast. Um, I hope you're living your best life. I I don't know what what's accessible for like a 15 year old to read that's leftist because even I'm fucking sweating bullets trying to read some of this stuff. So, but like, you know, have fun. Yeah. Live your life. Like they're 15. I don't know. Like, I don't care. Okay. So those are all three of the fucking hot takes that we went through. That was a lot. But stay fucking strapped in because, bro, we're about Mm -hmm. to unpack Red Taylor's version. Everyone's The moment literally so many of you have been waiting for. Because we streamed this together as it dropped in live, in like, in real time, the video for that is available on Patreon as well, so more incentive to go. And also, if we do more live streams in the future and stuff and, like, Zoom calls with y'all, join $1 Patreon. When 
1989 comes out. Oh, when and if it comes out. Oh my god. Oh, that and reputation. Oh, my when God. those two come yeah, out, when those two y'all want to y'all want to be in yeah. already because <laughs> you know I'm fucking canceling everything. Like I We're don't canceling. give a fuck. Like that's gonna be an international holiday. I'm already tearing up yeah. just thinking about it. When those two albums drop, <laughs> it's gonna be literally life changing. Like you guys have to be there. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. that we, we 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 did our first one run with Red. This yeah, was cute. Yeah. This was cutesy. Yeah. <laughs> y'all better it be is, fucking y'all will prepared. Not, y'all are not prepared. Taylor Swift broke some records on Spotify. She will be breaking so many more records in oh the my future. God. Like when Reputation Taylor's version comes out. If we get vaults, okay. First of all, vault songs <laughs> from from Reputation better just be like I fuck women. I fuck this woman. I fuck this woman. <laughs> Oh, remember that Instagram post in that one year? Yeah, we all had sex before and after that photo was taken. I just got back from fucking this woman after that paparazzi photo. Oh, this person also fucked them. Like, I, that's what I need it to be. That's what I need it to be. It, that's what it's gonna be. Like, I already know. Oh, Wonderland is gonna be like, I think I might like having sex with girls. Is having sex with girls fun? Am I a girl that has sex with girls? Reputation? I have lesbian sex. So... Anyways, that it's gonna be it's gonna go from I have lesbian sex. Oh my gosh, Joe's so nice and fun. I have lesbian sex. His blue eyes are so pretty. Having sex with girls is fun. Me and Joe are love of each other's lives. Like that's literally all that it's gonna be, and I'm so excited for it. So I'm thrilled. Stay, I'm thrilled. but stay tuned for our red analysis. Mm-hmm. And it was a sleigh, to say the least. But. But 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 we we're gonna go into exactly why and how this is a sleigh, and also within the context of Taylor Swift's career and her career trajectory and her artistry. But, Should we start with our rankings first? Or? I, yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Mm. Let's start with our rankings. Okay, cool. Should we do it like we did with this our sour Olivia Rodrigo episode, where we go one one two two three three, or like? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think so, but also just okay. Preface for mine. There's so many songs on this album. Like, mm-hmm. so... I genuinely it's lost 30 track. fucking songs. 30 fucking songs. Like, two hours. Like, girl. Yeah. I kind of lost track. So don't come at me too hard. My top songs are my are my favorite songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After Everything else around, runs together. After around track, like, mm, between, like, 10 and 14, those are, like, oh, so close to being the top, but there are some that are better. The full second half of the of my ranking, it's just like these are all good songs, but it, there's so many. Like yeah. some of you just yeah. had to sink to the bottom. Yeah. So please do not come at us for our rankings, particularly <laughs> because I end up getting the most heat for my rankings. <laughs> oh, also, so not in our rankings is all too well because that's going to be analyzed and talked thing, about in its obviously. own way. It's yeah. like its own thing. And then, obviously, respectfully, Ronan is not included in the rankings as well. So there's 27. Because there's, like, two versions of, of All Too Well. Right. So that went out. And then I think I combined both original and acoustic State of Grace. But if you have those in two different positions, feel free to shout. But that's just for me. I've been seeing some Swifty discourse on my timeline about State of Grace acoustic versus original version, which is why I kept, I kept them separate. But yeah, so yeah. our rankings will be like for Renaissance 1 through 26 and for Sunny 1 through 27. Just because yeah. of those specific distinctions. I assume that there's discourse about the various, the, the two versions of State of Grace. Just for me personally, I have them as the same. And right. I think taste-wise, I think I like them 
about the same mm-hmm. but separately. Mm-hmm. So they 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 would have been placed around the same area for me anyway. Gotcha. Okay, so what's your top song? My top song is The Lucky One. And yes, it is because I love The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Oh my god. <laughs> First of all, I, I think it's a good pop song. Mm-hmm. Two, I, I like the story. I like the old Hollywood kind of story. It's the same mm-hmm. thing that's in Wildest Dreams. And I love mm-hmm. Wildest Dreams for its like old Hollywood motifs. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's connection to Evelyn Hugo and Celia mm-hmm. St. James. I, just, I, have, I have to love it. Mm-hmm. So that is mm-hmm. my number one the lucky one is also in my top three so mm-hmm. we'll see. but my first song is nothing new featuring phoebe bridgers it's a vault track and it's just so fucking incredible it's um, really good it's so good like the lyrics are so piercing and they combine and reflect so many themes and i i, I actually one of the motifs that i want to talk about later is the theme of time in red and also just in her music in general like in the way that Time is not linear. I mean, for everyone, but like for Taylor Swift specifically and in her work, like it's so clear and it's so fucking cool to think about. Like the Nothing New Bridge, girl, that shit destroys me every time. Like I can't listen to it without tearing up. And like I'm the kind of person who tears up to music, but that song, like, oh my God, it, it, it got me. It got yeah. me! Okay, number two. <laughs> my number two is Holy Ground. I definitely understand, like, red supremacists and their stance on this song. The tempo is good. The lyrics are good. It's a fun time. I think it definitely, if this was a different time, had, like, single potential. I really enjoy this song. Like, okay, okay. This is the other thing. Another preface. is for me, like, albums need time to marinate. So a lot of my top songs Mm -hmm. are songs that are, like, my on-repeat from the get mm-hmm. and three months from now this, this entire will be list is gonna be flipped yeah. upside That's how down because folklore so, when i look at my rankings for folklore last year around yeah know, around this time versus now it's so crazy how much it's changed and shifted like i think initially i didn't really have that much of an appreciation for like mirrorball or my tears ricochet but mm-hmm. now i very much do and like initially i didn't really have a huge appreciation for like peace but I was Pe- just about to say, the, my obsession with Peace right now is out of this world. I mean, world. over the summer, over the summer, Peace was my fucking song because I was traveling with my family and it just completely, ca- like, captured everything that I was feeling, the love that I had for the people in my life and my family. Then there were the songs that were good the first time and the last time, and they were my favorites, like, The Last Great American Dynasty, like... Always been one of my favorites. August, always been one of my favorites. You know what I mean? But, like, at over time, like, I just, it just, the appreciation just increased. And then it shifted mm-hmm. with, like, all the other things that, you know, came along. So I think that yeah. will happen for me with Red. But I, I think that Nothing New and also The Lucky One are definitely songs that, like, will will be consistent favorites. And, like, my appreciation yeah. for them will only escalate over time. A lot of so. my top songs are songs that I see myself appreciating now and continuing to like in the future Mm -hmm. but uh, anything probably under my top 10 those are most likely going to have their own eras of on repeat and are going to kind of be like sleeper hits for Mm -hmm. me in the album Mm -hmm. um so that's another thing so if you see us tweeting about other songs (laughs) that are not in our like top 10 you know it's not like we're freaking turning back or on something Mm -hmm. but anyways holy ground is in my top 10 Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, 
My number two song is Everything Has Changed, featuring Sheeran. This song, mm -hmm. yesterday, I was listening to it, and I mean, I wasn't even listening to it. I started singing it to myself, and I was like, this song is so fucking good. Like, it's a kind of song that, like, you can just belt. It's like one of, you, you know how, like, Adele songs are songs you can just sit mm -hmm. at a piano and just start singing, and everyone will join in? Like, that is Everything Has Changed, like, for me. And it is such a beautiful duet. And it's one of the like bright, but also soft sort of elements of this album because it's not sad, but it's slow, but it's beautiful. But it's kind of like similar to Lover in that way, you know, or because, but it's a duet and it's like, I don't know, I just think it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a sleigh. And I must say Ed Sheeran in this is pretty good. Like he does not make me want to shake my head throw up scream cry you know like it, it's a good feature it's always been a good song lots of you know nostalgia for it so yeah we'll get to to my ed sheeran placements <laughs> later mm -hmm. in our rankings my number three is 22 mm. because i think this song is high camp i yeah. think 22 falls in a very similar vein as Blank Space mm. in the 1989 album, in which mm -hmm. it is commercially successful, but artistically mm -hmm. misunderstood <laughs> and underrated. It's undeniable that, like, 22 as a, as a single, as a song, was inescapable during the Red Era. Yeah. It yeah. was on repeat. I remember thinking, like, doing the math of how old I was when Red came out to when, and, like, <laughs> wanting... I, I yeah. remember, like specifically being jealous of the people who were 22 years old when when the song came out yeah. and being like you get to be 22 when this song came out which yeah. is kind of wild now that red revival is coming out and i'm less than two years away from being 22 uh -huh. like i'm uh -huh. in my early 20s listening to this and uh -huh. i'm like oh my gosh but for me it like it is the epitome of pop music what mm -hmm. pop sounds like mm -hmm. songs about being aged like it's very like dancing queens age of 17 abba like like songs about being a young girl about about early mm -hmm. womanhood are so yeah. timeless because every year women mm -hmm. are going to be turning 22 mm -hmm. and the lyrics are fun they're fine yeah. and in a, and in an era where taylor self-admittedly was so sad and was going mm -hmm. through so much and had recently right turning 21 tw turning 21 is supposed to be fun mm -hmm. was not for her mm -hmm. to then her next birthday be i don't know yeah. about you but i but i'm you know mm -hmm. feeling 22 mm -hmm. amazing i just i just i love i love when the girls get to have fun and mm -hmm. so that's why it's in my top three for me I see. Yeah, 22 mm -hmm. is in my top 10 as well. So uh, my third is the lucky one, um, as woo, I said, woo, because woo, 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 woo. the storytelling is just impeccable. It's so fucking catchy. The bridge, mm -hmm. incredible. So many, like the connection to the lakes, right? Rose Garden over Madison mm -hmm. Square, you know, I saw rose grow out of uh ice frozen ground with no one around to tweet i don't know it. i think this is another one of the points of her the fact that time is not linear for taylor she's been grappling with the way that her life has been canonized and the ways that other women's lives have been canonized and so people are always theorizing oh is this about princess diana is this about th this woman is this about that it's like it's about all of them and taylor like it's about everyone's life it's about the lives of famous women and 
how... In the words of Shaka Khan, I am every woman. (laughs) Taylor Swift is every woman. No, like, she is the every woman. So, Um, what's your fourth fourth song? My fourth song is Red. Mm. Also, thank you to our followers for making one of my tweets uh, a a small banger tweet of loving (laughs) him with Red. I love that With the Men of Communism tweet. It literally... I... It it came to me like in a it that's dreamed. a raven esque vision, and I was yeah. like, I have to tweet this. I have yeah. to tweet this. Yeah. I feel like a whole rad school could be based on the way that Taylor Swift uses color in her yeah. lyrics. Yeah. Like yeah. you could study that shit for years, mm-hmm. I think. And mm-hmm. it's the title song of the album, and I think it just really lays a great foundation for the various forms of red that appear yeah. in her lyrics, like. The color of cheeks and scarves and mm-hmm. the color of traffic lights and mm-hmm. to show emotion and as, um, not apostrophes, um, like, like, like metonyms, I think is what it's called. Uh-huh. Just all the different literary forms that Red yeah. takes in this album. Yeah. So I just think that it's, and it's a good song. Like, yeah. so, like uh, any of these tops, like, if you're not a Taylor Swift fan or you just heard this on the radio, these are enjoyable songs. Mm-hmm. And... In the context of the album and her career, I think Red is just such a staple. Yeah, yeah. It's in my top half as well. My fourth song is Message in a Bottle, which is a Mm. vault track. Mm -hmm. And I think this song is like a pop, bubbly song that is just so catchy. And when I heard it the first time, I was like... Oh, I like this. Like, I really like this. Um, and I don't know. It just reminds me a lot of her later, her work to come, which makes sense because it's a vault track. Like, she didn't add it to Red for a reason. And one of the reasons that Red was the way that it was when she originally released it was that her label was really worried that her moving out of the country genre would isolate a lot of her fans. And so she was trying to, keep, you know, kind of keeping her roots as a country girl because that's where she started but also venturing into pop and like it's very clear in this album but I think Message in a Bottle is like a pure pop song and it really is a reflection of what is to come 1989 reputation lover like it's just really sweet it's a sweet love song that Mm -hmm. you know I love her her cutesy songs and when she gets mm-hmm. to just write good but like cute songs for the sake of writing yeah. a good cute song, you know? Yeah. My number five is We Are Never Getting Back Together. <gasps> That's mine too! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the reason why I have this in my number five, first, I think it deserves a high rating. The cultural yeah. impact, the pop yeah. culture, yeah. global yeah impact of the song (laughs) one undeniable yeah and can never be overstated like it deserves its due for for years and years to come and i also put this i put this in between so it goes like 22 red we're never getting back together i feel like 22 and we're never getting back together are pretty like the reason why i love it is just like the high campness of it all (laughs) because there i mean this is in the album where there's all too well we know Mm -hmm. what story she's like it like all too well and we're never getting back together are two versions of the same the same story story. Mm -hmm. and first of all both bangers both genus bangers 
And this is just, especially the part where she's like, is mocking, talking on the phone, and she's yeah. like, I love you. But that, Jean, yeah. it is literally like like a fun drag cabaret. Like, I don't know. How it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's and, and I love fun. her line about this is the I, preface to the um, Darling, I'm a Nightmare. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Dressed like a daydream. You know what I mean? Like, it is It is exactly that. It is leading up to it. And it's also, res- it's like, she has always had these these moments. Like, she knows herself to be someone who is not, who isn't cool or sexy or funny. Like, she doesn't think of herself in this sort of way. In the way that we think of pop stars to be. And I think it's like seeing, it, it's, it's reflected in the way that she talks about herself and her own music. In this really vulnerable way, but also in a way that's like so so comedic like and i i also think that mm-hmm. it is just it is fucking like, justice it is, from the universe that she's dunking on this guy jake um for you know <laughs> jake lis- gyllenhaal jake gyllenhaal. <laughs> um she's dunking on this dude for you know walking out on her in a fight to go listen to a quote indie record that's so much cooler than mine and oh that, then the implication the implication of that, that lyric when, when when less than 10 years later she drops the indie album of the year two. the like two two who that one that won the grammy the album of the year the like, fact that she is able to as mitski says take my pain and exploit it for money in this way that is just so like again and again and again in comedic ways in loving ways in 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 absolutely destroyed ways in a way that's like that is how we all cope with heartbreak all of us cope with that shit by making jokes by satirizing our conversations to our friends you know conversations with friends by sally rooney like <laughs> like it's just mm-hmm. and you know in Sally Rooney Sally Rooney's uh, beautiful world where she talks about how you know the world can be going to shit but at the end of the day the only thing that matters is love and friendship and like that it's like so clear and that's why her music is so it resonates and, and we are never ever getting that together I remember being a mm, maybe nine year old or 10 years, like a, tw- I don't know, a child having the sheet music to the song and sitting at my family piano plunking it out over and over and over again and belting it like it like oh my god it was so fun for me it's such such a fun song to sing and yeah Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's amazing so yeah i think my number six is i knew you were trouble which when we're talking for some (gasps) reason that's mine too okay yeah and for a very very similar reasons of Mm -hmm, once again mm -hmm. The impact of the song cannot be denied. Yeah. And both you of these have... song titles are the type of song mm-hmm. titles that when you hear them, you immediately hear the chorus. You know the chorus. Like, I can't think I knew you were trouble without hearing the beat drop. You I know, know what the, I mean? And the shit that she got for the chorus, <laughs> so undeserved. Really? What did she get? Yes, there, were, there were edits of the because of the scream. Now I'm crying on the cold, hard ground. Oh. Oh, but see, with that? The, with the go edits. That is a preface to reputation. Because that shit is what she oh, does. Oh, 100%. Like, and it's- that, I literally had to just look it up. I was like, is that on reputation or is that on red? And then it, and then oh it showed up as red. And I was like, I need to put that on this ranking. Because I fully thought it was reputation. That is crazy that you thought that. Because I have internalized it so much as a Red Era song. Because 
Well, when I remember the music video, uh, well, okay, I fully, I only know because of the aesthetic. I was like, uh-huh. wait, that was a red era because of the uh-huh. aesthetic well, that she was wearing. What was interesting was that, like, as as a kid, I remember at an after school, or like at a summer camp or something, someone brought their CD of red to camp and we were sitting around, like, in the auditorium of the gym on the stage mm-hmm. playing the same songs over and over like the songs that were on repeat for my childhood at this school at this elementary school it was tiktok by kesha it was um that one black eyed peas song and then random taylor swift songs yeah boom boom pow and then taylor swift's mean taylor swift's i knew you were trouble taylor swift's we are never getting we are never ever getting back together like those were the songs for me mm-hmm. and i remember just like like li- like dancing my heart out to I knew you were in trouble on the stage with my friends like no one was watching but the the room was full of people you know it was just one of the and like oh this memory it's just so visceral to me. I can still like smell it and I can like obviously like hear it and I can I like I, I I'm transported to that feeling of like joy because there's nothing more joyous than talking shit about a man like there's nothing better there's nothing better for the soul. <laughs> Than being like, mm-hmm. I fucking knew you were the fucking worst. Like, goddamn, scream. Ah! Like, that's what she's doing, you know? For me, Red. And also, one thing that I think is just very commendable about Taylor Swift's career that cannot be said about a lot of other pop girlies is that this was a really big turning era in her career. This album mm-hmm. really shows a, a, her range. a gear change, a <laughs> yeah. lane shift. Mm -hmm. And but one thing about Taylor Swift is that she doesn't she is a white woman (laughs) through and through and in a way that this has been talked about in the past and also currently is artists who go through these black eras where in order to come up and gain popularity and gain validity within the music industry, they have to mimic black aesthetics and black sounds. We see this with mm-hmm. Justin Timberlake. We see this with Miley Cyrus. Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande. We yeah. see this with Billie Eilish, where they're uh-huh. all black mm-hmm. until they're not. Mm-hmm. And one thing about Taylor Swift is that she utilizes the sounds of country. She used country mm-hmm. as her mm-hmm. way into the music industry. She didn't mm-hmm. mimic black artists in that way. And also, it shows that when she is angry, (laughs) when she has strong emotions, she doesn't become a caricature of black women in the way Mm -hmm. that we see people who have their revenge songs and their revenge albums, or however you want to put it, often have black background dancers and aesthetics and become caricatures. And she's able to utilize black artistry, such as her what would be future collapse was like Todrick Hall, who was uh-huh. like a black choreographer and black performer without uh-huh. herself adopting black aesthetics. Yeah. You know, like she's yeah. able to use that. And so for me, I knew you were trouble along with we're never getting back together and stuff like that. These aren't R&B songs by mm-hmm. any stretch of the means. She's not adopting black pop or you know, or those yeah. kinds of motifs in her writing. Yet she's able to come up with something that's new and refreshing and yeah. very distinctly Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And I think that with our top five and six, that is like really respectable. <laughs> yeah. When a lot of big pop artists have not been able to yeah. be successful without stealing from the black community. And so yeah. for the fact that she's not a- able to be successful, but to be the most successful, mm-hmm. and and 
not do that i think is like something that's yeah. worth noting like i think that she noteworthy. shifts lanes but she exactly. stays in her lane you know exactly Ugh. and she's like a white woman without being a karen like you never hear stories yeah. of her like blowing up at, at like servers and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. right like she's, she's just like a kind girl you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. and i think like the criticisms of her not responding to the the ways that like nazis will or like white supremacists will like view her as like um you know some sort of aryan princess or whatever or which the, is so weird like she's yeah. just from pennsylvania yeah <laughs> like like, <laughs> like not speaking up unless it benefits her or something like that like stuff like that i think mm-hmm. is an interesting criticism of her as like you know like an, a white artist because i think that in like miss americana the documentary we kind of see a lot of the behind the scenes of like what was going on especially in like 2016 2017 and sort of the ways that but i think that like the fact that people see her as like this like white feminist icon or like the the head of like white feminism or as an idea or like a symbol has more to do with their perception of her than who she is and what she says she does right like she she talks about women in the music industry all the time because she is a woman in the music industry she talks about the ways that the media treats people who are in relationships and how the media treats people treats young girls dating and the way that the, the public scrutiny on young women's lives because she's experienced that she talks about like she talks about things that she experiences she talks about sexual harassment because she experiences it like she talks about being stalked because she experiences it like and these are all things that she only experiences because of the level of privilege she has like because of the amount of fame and money she has she attracts a level of like a focus that that few other women in the world can really say like say that they really have and so like the ways that she talks about gender and and misogyny and stuff people i people are really projecting their i think their own perceptions of her as like like a spoiled brat or you know as someone who like is performative in the things Mm -hmm. she says as opposed to the ways that her observations and understandings of her world and her experiences and her and her relationships and the way that you know she's been in the music she has been the music industry since she was 15 like that has what that is what has shaped her understanding of gender and how it operates in the world like which is which is why i think like she she faces that the level of criticism that she does from all angles because of this because she has the level of fame that she has um and yeah like i i do think that because it's also because of the fact that she has maintained that level of like purity like on a on a social like she's never been a party girl you know like she, she's never been like mm-hmm. she's never been the one doing coke off of you know like she's never she's never been like the one well who's we've never with. seen her like drunk falling yeah. on them like yeah sidewalk yeah. stuff right. like that but like she talks about it in her music you know she yeah. talks about she her. talks about being she talks about there's this one interview where she's like oh i'm not really into drinking i don't do drinking yeah. that much and then it's followed up with every single lyric where she mentions she's talks like drunk off yeah, her yeah, ass yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and i think it's like it's the it's the sort of like good christian country girl pipeline like to why mom pipeline is what's really mm-hmm. going on like <laughs> i think it's what's, like but the the thing and we're kind of talking about this and just us like before recording is i think that she would be this way 
Even if she wasn't Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think if she was she just would... If she was just a white girl named Allison from fucking Pennsylvania, like, she would still be writing songs and posting videos of them on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she would be the TikTok girl posting her posting her cats and her guitar. Like, you know what I mean? She only has the amount of fame that she has because she's so good at what she does and because she's always had this supportive group of people around her that have been, like, repressive in some ways but have been ultimately there, like, for her success and looking out for her. Like, I think that's why she, as a young girl in the, in this industry wasn't eaten up and chewed like and, and and tossed out the way that people like Britney Spears or Selena Gomez or uh like you know Lindsay Lohan were you know like mm-hmm. the early 2000s girls where addiction just complete and and media attention and like the 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 amount of like fun that people were making at their suffering like over the course of their career like absolutely destroyed them i think the difference between those girls and what taylor swift had was that her family and her parents and her sibling like have always been a ride or die for her whereas like for a lot of other actors and performers like their fa- they have like really weird toxic relations with their family or it's like a weird abusive situation where like with Britney it's like there's the conservatorship conservatorship that you know she's free from now but like she like Taylor Swift do- didn't d- doesn't have she is literally just from a wholesome upper middle class like stockbroker mm-hmm. dad like family you know in from and, the like, middle of nowhere and she never had to be the main uh, like breadwinner for her family so I think mm-hmm. that that really like in the beginning of yeah. her, her career her passion for this really came from because she wanted to do it yeah. and her yeah. parents had the means to support her in doing that yeah. because they were always going to have enough money to support their family yeah regardless of if she became the world's most successful pop star or not. <laughs> yeah yeah so whereas yeah. a lot of with the other pop stars and child uh-huh. stars and people who get very successful very very young uh-huh. end up taking on a lot of the financial responsibility yeah. of the household which yeah. when you're 13 yeah. you're not in the position to handle yeah and she was and able to that, just right be, be. Swift, yeah yeah she went to her like, high school and got bullied like girl yeah. like she like she went to middle school and her friends and the people around her were like you're kind of weird. Like, mm-hmm. why are you so dramatic? Like, why are you... Like, she was the emo Tumblr poetry girl before the, that was even a thing. You know what I mean? Like, that was her. And she just happened to be, like... And the fact that her perspective on those memories was that she mm-hmm. wasn't seen as the pretty girl. Yeah. When she's literally <laughs> Taylor Swift. Like, yeah, the fact that, yeah. like, there's so much in her writing that suggests that she was not considered like the prettiest or the top of the social hierarchy yeah like i really want to know i would like to know the perspective of her classmates from high school because in middle school because like same how did y'all what did y'all actually think of her like i I like i want to know what people thought of taylor swift the the person mm -hmm. without yeah this you know yeah like i wonder if one of if i'm pretty sure that one of my friends uh like went to the high school that was like adjacent to the high school that taylor swift went to and so the teachers there like there are some of them who were there when they you know and and like taught taylor swift and stuff and i'm like i wonder 
what they like do they even remember her like was she significant enough to like be of notice like i i'm just and and the fact that in her i think vogue 73 question interview during the 1989 era she was asked okay if you could be any other career what would it be and she was like english teacher for sure i'm like what is your relationship to your teachers and your school? Like, that is what is fascinating to me. Um, and I think the fact that she immediately was like, I would be an English teacher kind of shows the way in which her and like also in on the recent um, on the recent interview with Jimmy Fallon, where she's talking about the fact like how she journals and then also in with the lover release, she had she had she for part of the vinyl was like you could buy her, like journals of like her poetry and stuff. It's like this girl has been writing poetry short stories and like love stories since before she even knew what love was you know what I mean like before she ever experienced it which kind of goes back to the tweet that I made about about the way that women should be able to date and experience romance for the sole sake of creating art because romance itself is a is a manifestation of art and the, and the things that we see the media that we consume let our romance and the ways that we go about our romantic lives is a reflection of like our understandings of romance via media which fuels the media that we make which then recreate like it's one of those sick like well cyclical i also think things. it's just fair because how many men have just had like abusive partnerships and call their partners <laughs> muses and just use women mm -hmm. for the sake of making using art, like them for art. Zelda Fitzgerald, and you know, like, like, like so many. Mm -hmm. Why can't Taylor Swift have an entire <laughs> album about a three-month relationship that was yeah. very fucked up? Yeah. When the, when this is when this has just been yeah. art making from the male's perspective forever. Yeah. But we have we. This is such a long album. We must continue. Was your so, seventh song? My seven is Forever Winter. This song is so fucking sad, but so fucking good. Um, mm -hmm. It is a vault track, and there is kind of... It's not confirmed, but kind of the idea that this was written about um, after the passing of a close friend that was, like, very mm -hmm. sudden. And, you know, the chorus or the sentiment is that, like, I... I will for always be the summer sunshine for your like forever winter kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just that kind of like sentiment, it, it's just such a heartbreakingly beautiful song. And I think it's, it's, um, if for an album that's very much about a breakup and about mm -hmm. love and love lost in a mm -hmm. romantic kind of way, mm -hmm. I think this song about love lost that's about like a friendship, you know, mm -hmm. that's about losing someone that you love in a not end of a relationship kind mm -hmm. of way mm -hmm. fits red perfectly, but also just mm -hmm. stands out in this yeah. really like great way. And, it, and, I, yeah. and I think her writing here is just really strong yeah as well yeah, for sure no forever winter is in my top half as well but my mm -hmm. seventh song is babe which is another vault track mm -hmm. because this song Both is vault tracks for number seven yes this song i just think is it's it's similar to like peace or something where in the where the title is directly contrasting with the with the lyrics and the and the and the song itself where it's like in peace she's like i can never bring you peace right like <laughs> in in babe she's like she's like you're not my babe like you're not my babe i'm not your babe like like 
girl, leave me alone. You know what I mean? So I think that for that, like, I love, and I just think the song is just so catchy, but sad and like a fuck you, which, you know, a lot of these songs are. And I just, I love that for her. So yeah. What's your eighth song? So true. My eighth song is Nothing Now. I love this song. I'm obsessed with this song. Um, like I said, like a lot of the top half of this is are songs that I all really, really, really like. Um, and so like it being an eight is really just like I needed the mm-hmm. nostalgia songs up top. So this just kept getting pushed down. But I really like this. I'm not particularly a Phoebe Bridgers stan mm-hmm. individually. I remember mm-hmm. when like her latest album dropped. And it just, like, blew up on Twitter. And I never heard her name before that album. Interesting. I was like, who the hell is everyone talking about? <laughs> like, I, oh I had no conception of who she was. So I've really just been kind of hearing about Phoebe Bridgers um, through the grapevine. Uh, Bestie of the podcast, Noor, is a, like has a love-hate relationship with Phoebe Bridgers. Mm-hmm. Love, um, they love the discography, but... Hate the person. That's for so a many fans. Bit. So many fans love them. Like I, like yeah. one of my friend, my friend Kennedy was talking about how, like, she can't listen to Phoebe Bridgers' music anymore because she's just too annoying of a person. Yeah. So <laughs> like, I've I've just been so because I wasn't a stan myself, and I've only really right. Liked, there weren't any stances to be taken anyways. So yeah. So so I haven't really gotten into her music. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Silk Chiffon currently is everywhere that I turn. But yeah. and I do like that song. But yeah. that's like really it. But I I just really like this. I also like how Taylor has been telling the story of how she got this collab with yeah. Phoebe Bridgers. I yeah. think it's so cute. I love. And the fact that everyone loves it so much is like I think it's proof of how unhinged <laughs> the and, fans are. Yes, and I think that. She, the thing about Taylor Swift is is she is an observer first. Like, yeah. so much is done to her and happens mm-hmm. to her. But, and and it's just like, what, what media fails to understand is she's sitting back and watching y'all. Mm-hmm. Y'all are the one performing. Y'all are the one projecting onto her. Mm-hmm. And so, that's why she's able to make art about it. Like Blank Space. Like exactly. Look What You Made Me Do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all of That's the, what, like so, the lucky one. I feel like this song, Nothing New, is just such a fresh, there's just not many songs about this. There are other songs yeah, about what it's yeah. like being a female performer and uh, not having the recognition that you used to or feeling like yeah. you keep producing and it's not getting the same hype that it used to. Like, there are other songs, but it's not an over-flooded market in the yeah. music industry for sure. And it's so also I just think like, it's a very interesting take. It's just interesting because, like, she wrote this when she was, like, what, in her early 20s? And now she's in her 30s. And she's even more successful than she was when she wrote this. Like, yeah. Which is crazy considering how successful Red was, you know? I like, think it just really shows how hard she works. Like, Taylor yeah. Swift, I mean, of course, you know, under capitalism, you can't work hard enough to make the amount of money that she yeah. has yeah. to her name, yeah. of course. But. In a world where so many people are wildly financially successful just off mm-hmm. of being greedy and just yeah. off of pure thieving and yeah. just off of literally out of no talent and of their no own talent out of no and interests like, like of Elon their own. Musk like his yeah. parents literally were became rich 
with apartheid South Africa. Yeah. And yeah. the shady shit that he does. Yeah. I feel like Taylor Swift, at least the basis of her success, the 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 the, the yeah. main motor of it is that she's a hard worker in her own right mm -hmm. and very talented has the mm -hmm. talent to do that and it's other systems that kind of perpetrate the other not so great sides mm -hmm. of just celebrity culture and mm -hmm. fame and mm -hmm. what it means to produce in the united states yeah. i just think that nothing new really shows that like regardless of whatever else was happening on she was gonna yeah. do her shit anyway she's gonna yeah. work yeah. she's gonna make you listen to her yeah and that's just going to be what it is. So, yeah. yeah, I love it. No, I love it so much. And that's funny because my eighth song is Holy Ground, which is in your, like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Day. Yeah. My so, top two. Yeah. And then what's your ninth song? My ninth song is I Bet You Think About Me. And my I think song, it's just I love her being a cunt. Yeah, <laughs> I love she's a, she. She is a bitch. Parentheses, positive. Um, yeah. My ninth song is The Very First Night, which is a vault track. The very first night. I don't even know. I'm now realizing that I'm missing songs. Oh, no, I oh have that God. one. Okay. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's fun. I like it. Um, that's all. <laughs> What's your tenth song? Yeah. My tenth song is Treacherous. Interesting. My tenth song is 22, so. <laughs> so low. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well i obviously i love it but and yeah. i love the next song too uh what's your 11th my 11th song got moved so it's uh -huh. it's begin again interesting mine is girl at home i this song is so catchy i like it oh a wait lot. i missed oh my gosh i missed that one i have oh, you missed girl at home i'm i know i have it higher yeah so i okay so i said that forever winter was my next song it's mm -hmm. girl at home girl at home oh. and then forever winter Oh, gotcha. Which was like okay. a while ago, but I just forgot. Yeah. Well, then I'll just say my next one as well. So my 12th one was Red. So still in okay. the top half, yeah. The last song that I said was Begin Again. Mm -hmm. Then after Begin Again, I have the two State of Graces. Gotcha. So my 13th one is The Last Time. What's your 14th? Okay. After that, I have Stay Stay. Oh, no, no, no. After that, I have Sad, tra Beautiful, Tragic. Interesting. I have yeah. Forever Winter after that. Okay, okay. And I then, what's your 15th? Stay, stay, stay. Mine is I Almost Do. Okay. Um, and then, what's your 16th? Starlight. Same! Yeah! <laughs> uh, what's your 17th? 17th, The Last Time. Mine is Come Back, Be Here. That's my next one. I had that one, and I moved the last time up right before it. That was literally my next song. Oh my gosh! I love when we when we have the same ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so mine, mine would have been the one right underneath. So then, what's your one underneath? Come back, be here. Better man. Okay. And then 19. what number are we on? I'm <laughs> okay. on nineteen. Okay, my numbers are all switched around, so I'm I'm going off of your numbers. So the, my nineteenth, okay. uh huh. So mine is the moment I knew. Interesting. Mine is well. So I, my nineteenth is, I th I bet you think of me. So. And oh, okay. what's your twenty? Okay, okay. Message in a bottle. Which mine this is one? Run. This one, message in a bottle. Uh -huh. I see as being a sleeper hit for me. 
So yeah. this is not a permanent. It just this is just where it fell in the initial first yeah. impressions. I believe that Message in a Bottle will have its own era mm -hmm. in my streamingness. What's your twenty one? Um, is Babe, which again Mine I is also treacherous. like. So okay, yeah. okay, I really like Babe. <laughs> then I have the very first night. Mine is uh, State of Grace original version. Okay. Then I have I almost do. Mine is the moment I knew. I think we I think our our I almost do and the moment I knew are like flipped. And then what's your I 24? Have the last time. Interesting. Cuz where's my the last time? My the last time is I think yours is higher now. Yeah, why can't I find it? The oh, number it, five. Mine is 13. We're like, yeah, it's just getting confusing. Them, it's like, as, like, they're like scrolls. Like, we have to like no. have libraries <laughs> to find the top of our list. No, my 24 is Stay, Stay, Stay. Because um, it sounds like okay. a Target ad. I think but, Stay, like, Stay, Stay in the is way just that, like, cute. Paper like, you know, like, there's, there's more emotional songs. Stay, but it does. Slay, I think slay, when I listened slay. to it, I said it sounded like Spotify ad music. Yeah. Because the ukulele, yeah, 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 you know? That's what I said, too. When you don't have, yeah. It's giving that, but it's cute. It is. It's like paper After ring. That, this might grow on me. Yeah, I have better man. I don't care about a man getting better, so. Ha! Mine is begin again. Okay, okay. I, and for begin again, I put in parentheses, great song, just first impression. So I'm like, I gotcha. know that this will be a sleeper hit for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just love yeah. for now. Now, yeah. if I'm being honest, because I've moved so many songs around and we've exempted some, I'm not sure if I have every all of them. But my next one is Everything Has Changed, uh -huh. which this is a great before the Swifties come for me. I love this song, <laughs> but uh -huh. it has Ed Sheeran in it. And so for first impressions <laughs> of all Taylor Swift albums, for me, anything that has a man, instantly to the bottom. But... <laughs> I love oh it. Also, God. like, her friendship with Ed Sheeran, like, tests my patience. Like, that, I feel like, is my biggest <laughs> ask of patience, is these mm -hmm. featuring Ed Sheerans that I see around every corner. Yeah. But that's just that. Mine is Sad, Beautiful, Tragic. And then my next, my last one is State of Grace Acoustic. Because I don't really like acoustic oh. songs. I'm not an acoustic bay. I don't know. I prefer music that is more, like electronic almost or synthy like r&b or yeah. even like or like electronic you know or even just like like you know, hyper like hyper pop and r&b and b are so much higher than like acoustic music is to me honestly which is why i'm not a big country girl you know like I, that's why i can't really get into country taylor because i'm just not i don't like the twang of a guitar if it's not like electric like in solar power you know like I don't know. That's just my my taste. But I do like a folk, like I, I like a folksy thing, like in I bet you think of me or Betty. So my last song is "Run," also for the Ed Sheeran, but not personal. I just I he's, you know I feel like I put in my work. Like his singles, any any song that that man dropped between like t 2010 and like 2015, I had to listen to for so many hours because <laughs> I listened to the radio on the way to school. And they would play nonstop. So I just feel like I have, I've listened to enough Ed Sheeran. I've you deserve to be a hater now. You've graduated from that exactly. Sheeran school. So, you know, I'm sure I'm still going to listen to these songs. I'm sure whatever the bottom half is, those rankings are going to be 
moving around day to day, hour to hour, those rankings are going to be switching around. But for now, that is that. So with our rankings, and we talked a little bit about why and, and our thoughts on them, especially with our like top 10. Now we're going to crack into All, All Too, Too well. well, which is obviously the top song. If non-Swifties, to song. non-Swifties love this song. Swifties marry this song. Like, Swift, worship. Like, Swift, wor- like, worship. I worship at the altar of your hips. Like, it's, it's holy ground. Like, this song is just, it's it's spiritual. Like, it is, it, it's itself some sort of awakening. Also, in advance, like, we already have more than two hours of of foot of footage and audio so this is our red tv era of releasing a 10 minute yeah. version of something that is originally four because we this is gonna be doubled this is gonna be three this is gonna be like a three hour episode like you know buckle yeah. buckle up because yeah, we're, but we're I feel not like even our done. listeners one knew that red tv was coming out two and it came out saw the length of the album Three, if your immediate thought was not, oh, this isn't going to be the most monstrous sized The Lavender Menace episode ever, that's on you. You should know who we are. You listened to our <laughs> Solar Power episode. You've seen us talk about Taylor Swift. You should know. So, all too well. Should we talk about the song first or the yeah, short film? Let's talk about the song first because I okay. think that's the basis of the short film. I mean, the 10 minute version. Like, Taylor herself has said on the Seth Meyers show, it is the version. Like, that is the version that she thinks that her fans should run, are going to run with and should run with. And I think she's right. Because I think that the 10-minute version adds something that, like, that pre-chorus is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, like, right before the chorus, like, after her verse, um, you know, like a couple times throughout the song, add so much to it. And I think like, like that one, the one line where, you know, she's, uh, she's, it's this like, and it's so visual and it's so, it's like a dialogue and it is, it is a preface. It is the blueprint for Evermore. It is a blueprint for Champagne Problems. It is a blueprint for Tolerate It. Like, that like the connection between red and evermore red and lover red and reputation red in 1989 red and uh fucking and folklore like it's just crazy because red is the blueprint for for her switch from country to pop like red is her pop blueprint it is what mapped all roads leading out from it and like and i think that is what makes taylor's version so fucking special because we get to see all the things that she left out initially but that now she's adding back in knowing that her narrative has gone full circle that she's gotten to the other side of the door one thing that i think shows with this album and the rest of her career like you said red is just it it is the taylor swift album not in that it has to be your favorite but in that Red is the Taylor Swift of albums in the way that Taylor Swift is the Taylor Swift of artists. Like, it just is. None of her looks will ever be as iconic as her twee red lipstick situation. Like, you know what I mean? It's just not gonna, nothing is ever gonna top that. No matter how awesome the rest of her looks. It influenced, like, me. Like, I wanted to look like Red, or look like Taylor Swift in her Red album. 2010s? The 2010s? Was fu- the fashion of 2010s was run by Taylor Swift and Zoe Deschanel. Like, that was it. And then I mean, maybe it Alexa was, Chung it was a rough time to be ethnic, but like a great time to be a white woman. Like, it was a good time to be a really, skinny white bitch. A really it good really time. It really was. 
um, hard, it was hard to want like blunt bangs and pin straight hair when you're Asian with an afro. <laughs> but like, you know, Taylor Swift makes you want what you want. One thing that really shows with her country roots is that there's this saying in country music of just give me three chords and the truth where country music does not have to be musically complicated. What is important in country music the is, story, the narrative. is the story that is being told. The what you are able to pass down, yeah. like musically, because I think which also is also seen thing. in like nobody, no crime, in Evermore, like exactly. But 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 the thing is, is that like country music is about your tr- it, it's it's a storytelling genre, a storytelling medium. Obviously, it has been infiltrated by non-working. Like the thing is that it's supposed to be a working class genre of music, mm-hmm. and it originally so is was. bluegrass, so is jazz, so is exactly. Hip-hop. It was all of that. So like when people are like, "Oh, I love like Keith Urban or like Blake Shelton," I'm like, "Okay, they're multimillionaires. I don't care mm-hmm. about what country mm-hmm. music they make." But Taylor Swift uses the principles of country music regardless of the genre that she's writing in and i think that shows an all too well and that yes all too well isn't this like innovating like she didn't make new instruments or make new programs to write this song it was it originally is her and her guitar basically singing a diary entry yeah and it's 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 four chords and and a journal like Exactly, and, and she talks and about her process essentially of recording is the song. A country music, regardless yeah, like, of whether it's pop or not. In the Seth Meyers episode or interview, I'm pretty sure she talked about how, when she was like 20 and going through a really tough time, she walked in to go, you know, rehearse with her band, and her band sits down, and before they start performing, she was on her guitar and you know strumming the chords, do 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 do, the you know the ones that we know open up all too well that we. And she mm-hmm. just sung for like 10, 15 minutes. Just sung what was on her mind. And that is all too well. Like, that was, she was just sad as fuck. And this is the music that came out of her just being fucking sad as hell. And her mom, after that recording session, was like, did, did y'all did y'all get that? Like, to the sound guy. I was like, did, did y'all get the first part? <laughs> and they did, which is like why we have this iconic song now that music journals and music journalists across the country and the world note to be her best song. It's usually ranked up there alongside songs like Champagne Problems off Evermore. And it's usually ranked above it, though, which I think is interesting because Champagne problems is arguably like more of a heartbreaking song because we're in the perspective of someone who has to be the one rejecting and it's like a wedding and so or like a marriage proposal and like the other person is on both of their knees begging like so it's it's a little bit more dramatic than a three-month relationship you know what i mean like like it's a little bit Mm. but i think that the reason why all too well a little bit more on the line than getting your things mailed back to you (laughs) more like ending life plans and home ownership yeah 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 yeah. like because champagne problems was written by her and joe who are essentially a married couple like (laughs) the the she's writing fiction right that's fiction but like when you when you're looking at the autobiographical shit like the all too wells like that it's like the i knew you were troubles the blank spaces like those songs like that's like okay the lovers like those are the songs that define her discography beyond the artistry it's just her and who she is and her experiences which is what makes it so special and the way that she's able to encapsulate it in a way that is so artistic and resonates with people on an individual level like and she's talking in one of her other interviews i think before the all too well short film screening she talks about how 
you know, when she wrote All Too Well, she was so fucking sad. Like every time she performed it on her tour, like she could barely get through it without tearing up. And, but then she, she noticed how much her fans loved it and how much they were screaming those lyrics back at her. She started realizing, like, it's like, it was her fan songs too. It wasn't just her song and her pain. It was like, it was their, the joy of that collective cathartic experience. And mm-hmm. now that we've gone full circle, and now that she, now that she writes, she's her in music the happiest knowing, relationship of her life. Yeah, but and now that she <laughs> writes her music, knowing the way that her fans are going to respond, knowing that when she writes in Champagne Problems, she's fucked in the head. They said her whole stadium is going to be screaming at her. That the the reason why that can exist is because of All Too Well. It's because of the way that she knows her fans are going to react, and like. And, and when I was watching the videos of her at the screening, and she was, you know, pl- strumming her guitar, playing all too well, af- I think after or before the screening, like at this point, the 10 minute version had only been released for like 12 hours. But the whole audience of, you know, Swifties at this fucking screening are screaming at her, fuck the patriarchy, keychain on the ground, you know what I mean? Like, they, there are those lines that are like you and, and the fact that everyone is clinging on to that line it's like you kept me like a secret but I kept you like an oath like the fact oh, those lines I literally like, just got chills I literally yeah, yeah. just got chills when you said it my I body just, just went like that <laughs> like oh my god oh, oh god. my god that because because and then okay but that line then the following line you called me just to break me like a promise mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. name of being yeah in the name I, of being honest. I kept like you that, like a promise that, and you broke me <laughs> like like or a no promise. you like or like like you you kept you, me like a promise you kept me like I a kept promise you like and you broke oath. me you called called me you up broke to me. break me like yeah so you I that am the promise coupling, and you that broke callback, me that callback motif okay first she of all she is sick like, for that She's evil. Of all the tweets of like Taylor Swift should go to prison, but unfortunately she'd enjoy it or like she'd cry there. <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah. how I feel about that yeah. like promise motif mm-hmm. callback thing mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. she should go to a psych ward, but unfortunately she would just write five more albums there. Like yeah. it wouldn't solve anything. <laughs> like, she, it, we should, she, <laughs> she goes into self isolation and makes five albums. But <laughs> she goes into a pandemic and makes. Yeah, she went into literally. a pandemic and wrote two albums. And like, then re recorded three. Like, there's no. Like, stopping her only makes her stronger. But also, not yeah. stopping her also makes her stronger. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do in this situation. No, like, but you, if for, you bully her, she makes really great music. When you celebrate her, she makes really great music. When you d- don't, when you ignore her, she makes incredible music. You know, like, there's nothing you can do that will prevent her from making incredible music consistently. I think All Too Well helps <laughs> really tie my case to how, like, Red and 21 by adele that album are like culturally pop culturally paired albums there are they're these two wildly successful art more wild than you could have ever predicted um the precedent to this album for adele is 19 and obviously taylor swift has a couple more albums under her belt because that bitch never stops writing adele has publicly said Mm -hmm. when i'm not Mm -hmm. touring or writing I'm not touring or writing. Taylor Swift mm-hmm. never stops. So there are differences mm-hmm. in there. But 
two very I young. also think it's that parallel is so interesting because Taylor Swift pushed mm-hmm. back her release date for Adele's release next week. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. No, they're, they're still their their careers are still sister interlinked, careers. and like yeah, yeah. they have a, a like a friendly rapport within each other. But like just mm-hmm. pop culturally, these two artists their will never be able is to undeniable. exist. Yeah, undeniable. These beautiful white women with like with not, with like <laughs> either powerhouse Crazy. voices. Or like, mm-hmm. or a pen that can is unbeatable, or both. You know what I mean? Like that and, is. But I mean, with twenty one, like literally the same. It, it's reflecting the same age that Taylor Swift mm-hmm. was in this. But also, mm-hmm. both of them have said just how incredibly sad they were. Adele's mom yeah. moved in to take care of her because she's just in mm-hmm. such a state that like she couldn't do anything but produce mm-hmm. in order to get these emotions out, in order to move past them, and because this music. You know, like, when artists are working in albums, the, the fans don't know. Like, they don't have access mm-hmm. to this. So mm-hmm. this is all just her, the work from their heart and souls. And then it goes out into the world, and both of these albums, and the songs with the deepest emotion and the deepest impact, become the most beloved songs by these fan bases. Songs mm-hmm. that were reflections of their souls being ripped apart, the darkest moments of their life being screamed at them stadium after stadium night after night with songs knowing every melody every word every syllable of these songs Mm -hmm. and just seeing that reflection back at them shows Mm -hmm. that like there is it like this will be a forever historic moment pop culturally Mm -hmm. it's undeniable i think also in terms of like Back to our previous conversation about people seeing Taylor Swift as, like, this some kind of, like, white feminist icon or that she's, like, whatever. She is so occupied by music mm-hmm. and the observations that she makes of it as a woman in the industry that, one, it would be simply out of place for her to talk about the way that gender and class and sexuality and mm-hmm. all this stuff interplays. Mm-hmm. It, just, it wouldn't be appropriate for her to speak on that anyways. No. Yeah, and two, she's very outspoken about the things that do affect her and that she has yeah. observed. And in one of the interviews, I think it was the one in Seth Meyers, she didn't say, I didn't own my discography or the work that I did. She said, a mm-hmm. lot of your, as in the audience, favorite mm-hmm. artists do not own. She's mm-hmm. speaking for all artists in that mm-hmm. stance, but she's mm-hmm. also speaking specifically for the young girls in the music industry mm-hmm. who get screwed over at 17 years old, mm-hmm. who then grow up and be like, uh, I actually should have said that I wanted to own that when I was 17. And because she continually speaks up about that. Or the girls who at 19 get into relationships with people who are in their 30s. You know what I mean? Like, she, yeah. that's the music that she's making. And then on a meta-narrative level, the mu- the production side, the, the commercial side, mm-hmm. she like she's involved in both of these things. The way that these intimate relationships, yeah. these contractual relationships form and shape, like the way that you're about to, you're you're able to like navigate through the world and your emotional state like and it's it, like her life and her art is just a character study in that you know exactly so i think that it's just like critiques about her politics one i think are just out of place because there's mm-hmm. like taylor swift llc <laughs> like yeah. <the> corporation <laughs> yeah you know like 50 people are taylor yeah. swift with no, the like, size of her team, like 500 you know? people on her management are are controlling every element of the way that she yeah. is perceived 
Yeah. And so what we do get to see of her and the things that actually come out of her mouth, the thing mm-hmm. like the pictures that we see, the video, like the work, like but but more than all of that, the work that she makes is how she speaks to us. Like everything mm-hmm. else is about maintaining her career. Like she can yeah. only make this music when she has this career, which is why she has those hundreds of people circling around her at any given time. And because exactly. she's so famous, because and people like hate, like want her to die so bad. You know what I mean? Like she has so many people who like hate her or who are obsessed with her or you know are completely delusional in stalking her and you know what i mean like she has crazy men following her around all the time like for within the music industry and outside of it you know what i mean and the way that she like the media has treated her and her body and just her name as like public property people Mm -hmm. people who already don't respect women (laughs) and don't respect autonomy specifically are like there's been article after article moment after moment of dehumanizing her and Mm -hmm. making her feel as though people have the right to her and her Mm -hmm. life and her body and what she does so i think it's you know it makes sense that she has people around her all the time and that Mm -hmm. taylor swift pr is taylor swift like many 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 people make up taylor swift Mm -hmm. but taylor swift the human the individual the one who is in these relationships the ones who's the one whose name is attached to all of this to make assumptions about her politics as an individual, I just don't think that we, like, have the insight to do yeah. that. Yeah. And I think we, yeah. what, what, what we can conclude from the work that she does produce is she, she doesn't have wildly crazy um, takes or politics mm-hmm. that are, like... Mm-hmm that you wouldn't see as the natural conclusion to who she is and the mm-hmm. environment And that I she think, like, in. the thing about her is that no matter what type of world that we live in, no matter what conditions mm-hmm. of the world that we live in, she would be making art and she'd be good exactly. at it. Like, it, it doesn't matter Which what type of Which is why she world, said right. with, and, and, and specifically literature and mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. And like, if she, if she was born in the 1700s, like, she would be the fuck, I don't know, she'd be like, the fucking Bronte's or whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Like, like, (laughs) yeah. She would be, and that's why she said, like, so quickly, almost swiftly, that she'd be an (laughs) English teacher, is Mm -hmm. relating to literature, specifically as a woman, relating to literature Mm -hmm. in a way that she could use that as a way to express herself with a group of people every single Mm -hmm. day. That is the basis of who she is. That yeah. is what very she Jane does. Austen core, very mm-hmm. Louisa May Alcott, very you know, like she is the embodiment of all the women who came before her who have had legacies of and legends of their writing, uh, and their writing specifically about love, family, mm-hmm. relationships, being a girl, like adolescent, a teenage girlhood. Like she is, she is all of those things. And I think like to try to take that away from her or to try to act like that's not true is as delusional as being like, oh, Jane Austen had no impact on the literary like world. Like girl, what are you talking about? Jane Austen is the literary world for <laughs> like was and is, you know what I mean? Like Taylor Swift was and is what we understand to be pop music. And what we understand to be music from women about women's lives. Like, you know what I mean? So I completely agree. Top, like, I think the same criticism mm-hmm. of, be, of calling Taylor Swift, like, a fake activist or, like, I don't know, bad feminist or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as people being, like, oh, Jane Austen has, like, bad feminist takes. Like, no shit. Like, she's a, <laughs> she is a woman of her environment. She is talking about the ways that her world works. If her world works, operates in a certain way, it's because that world operates in a certain way. Like, don't even like it's i don't know anyway what were you saying 
Well, I was going to say, with that being said about the music and the song and the way that it relates, one, to her fans and to just like in, in the setting of Red, to move on to the short film and how that mm-hmm. song is now depicted in this visual way. First of all, the cast... Okay, Sunny and I are always right. Sunny and I will always be right. Sunny and I, everything that we say, it's a fucking prophecy. So I hope you guys are listening closely. Closely. Let me just say with that. Because we had an episode not too long ago mm-hmm. where we talked about the importance of casting and how the mm-hmm. choice of actors yes. in yes. a project is a mm-hmm. artistic and a creative choice within itself. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is... And, and that was in the context of talking about passing, which was true for that as well. But we yeah. also said this about just creative projects in general. Mm-hmm. That could not be more true and why Sunny and I are fucking geniuses always yeah. and the number one sisters <laughs> in the world. In the casting of this short film, mm-hmm. it, it could not have been better. And Taylor Swift self-admittedly said that if like Sadie said no, she would have just not made yeah. the short film. <laughs> which I think is so, one, amazing, awesome, yeah. like correct. Yeah. But it also shows how important casting is. Casting yeah. is not just cult, or cult, clout point grabbers Mm -hmm. casting is artistry within itself Mm -hmm. and so much of the impact of this short film so much of the discourse and the conversation that has spurred from the short film regardless of the amazing just like i can't like well i can't believe she wrote and directed it but like for this to be a directorial debut stunning Mm -hmm. all of that aside the sadie and dylan o'brien being the two actors in this I mean, that in itself is going to be an impact in film, in music, in... Pop culture, discourse. Pop culture. That's why people aren't going to stop talking about this for weeks Never. online. Like, Taylor Swift is also very intentional about who she collaborates with and how she collaborates with them. And, I th- and as she says, she is always listening to her fans. So when all her fans are fucking complaining about the fact that she never has female artists do tracks, do lines <laughs> on her shit, mm-hmm. she's like, okay, let me call up Phoebe Bridgers. Like, <laughs> like I need to yeah. send a long text message. To- and in interview with with Seth Meyers, he's like, so how do you go about, you know, approaching like Phoebe Bridgers? And she's like... Mm-hmm. And she talks about that whole experience and Phoebe Bridgers responding being like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. First of all, I think that's really interesting because Phoebe Bridgers, you have a lot of audacity in, <laughs> in expecting that to even happen. I think it's funny <laughs> that it matches up with the fact that she really likes your, that Taylor really likes your music. Like, you're lucky for that one. Like, because otherwise mm-hmm. you would you would just be another one of the Waiting. Delusion. Yeah. Waiting yeah. into the dust. Wait- <laughs> like, which, and I'm like, I think that this kind of shows the range of, like, Taylor Swift's taste. Like, she name drops Lana Del Rey to Billie Eilish to Doja Cat to Megan Thee Stallion to, like, she, she... Oh, I know she has, like, an ass-twerking playlist on her Spotify (laughs) or something. She she, she listens to Girl in Red. She listens to Phoebe Bridger. Like, that... And she listens to, like, The National and, like, like all these weird indie male artists, all the... Chris Stable... Like, the old-school, like, like like fucking christian country boys like Mm -hmm. she listens to it all and it shows also like 
we can see from the from the media that she consumes and talks about consuming, right? Like the very you know, like she talks about writing Death by a Thousand Cuts based off of um, this one movie, or I think it's like called The Greatest, and it stars Gina Rodriguez, um, and she talks about a marriage story uh, directed by Noah Baumbach inspired. You know, these are some of the pieces of media that she has like intentionally name dropped. She has this level of self awareness where like she knows that when she mentions someone. When she's you even uses a word, a vocabulary word, everyone's gonna go look it up. Like, like when she says she knows what she's doing when she collaborates with certain people, and when she casts certain people, and when she chooses to talk about certain artists, like she knows what the fuck she's doing. I, I think the person who uh, did the cinematography, the director of photography for the All Too Well short film, is the same person who shot her. Um, the red tv covers do you remember mm. like i don't but with uh, that, that's okay with her and her collab one thing that i love is like when at the end of the short film and the credits started to roll and every single name of a single person who had anything to do full name like the people that were in the bookshop at the end their names were listed i just know that all of those people are their lives are never going to be the same because they got a credit in that short film and yeah. not that she didn't have to but in the very way of like the the man off of the lover album of like she would be praised for a lot of the bitchy like she could be a bitch and if she were a man it could be seen as different and yeah. like she could give a lot less credit for the creative projects that she does and yeah. It's not that it would be right, but, like, she's so powerful. What would anyone do to stop her? What would any? Can you imagine? Uh -huh. like, like, it wouldn't be possible. So I think that her adoration for collabing with people is very admirable. And I think that she's very right and correct in saying that she wants to collaborate with people who want to collaborate with her and believe mm -hmm. in her. Because... And that she's not interested in convincing people to work on a project with her. Because, like, yeah, why would she be? The amount of shit that she's she Taylor gets for Swift. existing. Like, she's Taylor Swift. She want, can work with who she wants to work with. She deserves that. be ever so lucky to collab with Taylor Swift. But when it comes to the short film, I think that... And, and what I was trying to get at with the casting is that the age difference between... Sadie and Dylan O'Brien is the age difference that Taylor was in the relationship during the relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal which is what the majority of this album is about and obviously what All Too Well is about a lot of people were saying that like and I felt it when I watched oh like I watched it the moment that it premiered on YouTube I was very uncomfortable seeing Sadie and Dylan O'Brien like kiss and in those scenes and in the bed like it made my skin crawl and and it's because like obviously we know Sadie and Dylan O'Brien in their uh, other works and the type like we've seen Dylan O'Brien grow up so we like we see him as a man we just saw Sadie in Stranger Things in the eyes of of pop media uh, in the public audience? yeah she is a child and especially when you see sadie like in the later half of the music video when she's in the red 
aesthetic like she's uh-huh. taylor swift during red era and you see her uh-huh. trying to look older but like we yeah. still know that that is a child mm-hmm. and especially in the scene the subtitles like reeling or something and she's trying to get over it and you also see her at the birthday party and you just see and i'm just like i'm i i just went over and in, into the later half of being 20 years old like i'm closer mm-hmm. to 21 than i am 20 currently and so very close to the ages that are being depicted in this mm-hmm. short film. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously for reasons I can't imagine being with a man, but I just can't being, imagine being with a 30-year-old mm-hmm. and going through that. And, and it, you feel it so yeah. viscerally. Like, yeah. you, just, you can't not see it. And then once you realize that we all saw it, well, I mean, I was a child, so I'm not mm-hmm. really guilty in, in the way mm-hmm. that she's talked about during this relationship. But once you remember how she was talked about at this time, and uh-huh. the audience is forced to think about saying those things about Sadie, mm-hmm. who was this, who is this, like, beloved breakout child actress, there's an immense public guilt that is mm-hmm. being felt right now, that is mm-hmm. having to sit in the pits of our stomachs, yeah. But Taylor Swift put there. And it was yeah. like, I've been saying that yeah. my past relationships have been fucked up explicitly. There's only so mm-hmm. many ways. And now, 10 years later, she's in her 30s. She's mm-hmm. in a very loving relationship with her current boyfriend. And hopefully, through whatever process she went through, has been able to work through what that relationship was like and how it impacted her, is able to, like re-put this at the you know front of the conscious of of the media and of the public it's like i i hope that she feels taylor Swift feels satisfied and that people are finally starting to listen to her in a real meaningful meaningful way but i, I think can only imagine mm-hmm. the heartbreak of having to be 30 years old for someone to listen to your 20 mm-hmm. year old self yeah that has to be yeah like deeply disappointing in a way yeah and like how how that how one relationship can fuck you up so bad one that's even so short like one that is rooted in a power imbalance in grooming in and especially to back to back from John Mayer to Jake Gyllenhaal like i also think that um something that is so cathartic for the audience and that i is is in the last scene where we see Taylor Swift as Taylor Swift presenting a book called All Too Well in the small bookstore to all these people where she's able to tell her story right and like this music this short film is her telling her story her re-releasing re-recording her albums is her telling her story the way she wants to tell it the way a novelist can write her novel (laughs) and pick out Mm -hmm. each and every single word and and have it be true and resonate and get everything you're owed from it, right? She's providing us a glimpse of what it's like to be her when we see her come out onto and talk about her book and read pages from her book. Because this, all too well, it's her reading to us, you know, pages from her diary, stories from her life. It is storytelling at its highest form. It is narrative and and the and the encapsulation of like human emotion and experience in in its highest form in art. Like it's just so fucking amazing. And I was, I'm looking through the yeah. actor photography's Instagram right now, and her name is Rena Yang. And Rena Yang is was a cinematographer on Euphoria, the show, <laughs> uh, and also is was like filmed the music video 
for Savior Complex by Phoebe Bridgers, directed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, featuring Paul Mescal, um, Phoebe Bridgers' current boyfriend, and also star of Normal People. Like, the way that all these, like, really talented people, like, it's just kind of weird to think about, because, like, I mean, in my own life, I know, I see all the ways in which the world is so small. But then when I'm looking at people who don't know that I exist in their lives and the artists that I admire and look up to, and I see the ways that they interact with each other, I'm always like, what the f-? Like, it's a reminder that these people are people too. And they are artists who are influenced by other art as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just so cool. Like, like Taylor Swift is inspired by Phoebe Bridgers' writing, but Phoebe Bridgers is inspired by Taylor Swift's writing. And they're both inspired by things that Phoebe Waller-Bridge writes. And they're both inspired by their boyfriends that they love. And they're both, like, that's just so, like, whoa. Like, humans are so cool in the way that, like, we are able to connect with each other and make art and how art is a way of us connecting with each other. Like, I just, it's just so beautiful, you know? Yeah, I love the short film. I know film bros are mad. Film bros are fucking <laughs> They're kissing pissed. their pants. They're pissed. Like, because it was at, like, an average of 4.8 on Letterboxd, and someone <laughs> tweeted about it, and then it instantly went to 4.7 because the fucking film bros, the fucking <laughs> Quentin Tarantino dick suckers went, um... Yeah, they're like, to- a woman? being successful yeah <laughs> foaming at the mouth literally <laughs> barking, foam- okay it is not taylor swift's fault that she slays at every single creative <laughs> project that she's ever done and your fave hasn't been able to do that okay yeah. it's not yeah. her fault that her directorial debut for <laughs> is better than is, any of your faves like it's one of the best things that have ever been created like mm-hmm. that's not her fault and mm-hmm. Like because, and this is the thing, it fuels their misogyny to think that mm-hmm. all these women think that this this film is so good just because they're women, because they're irrational and stupid. But that is exactly what this film is about. The way that men treat young women as irrational and stupid for having legitimate reactions to their world. Like, and it's like, this is the a kitchen thing. scene. The, the meta implications of every single thing that, that Taylor does. Like, the, the dinner party, the... I dropped your hand. Um, and the in way champagne that problems? Up, yes. <sighs> dropped your hand while starting. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. And, and in champagne problems, she's talking about, you know, the friends and the family involved. And in this, we're seeing. And also the edit that you showed of Tolerate It, where she's. Oh you know, my god. I. Uh, washing. I, uh, yeah. Cleaning dishes till they glean and glisten. That one. That was yeah. the wrong melody. But you, you yeah. know. You know, I polish it, plates until they clean and glisten. Yeah. You're, you're so much older and wiser yeah. than I. Like, like, girl! <laughs> what the fuck? It's, and then the parallels, the visual parallels of mm. this short film to the music video for Lover. Oh, oh, oh the, the all's well that ends well, but all's I, like, well I'm in a new hell. Well and up then with you. Yeah. All too well and Lover are like mirrors yeah. of each yeah. other in a way yeah. like they're the same opposite song yeah they're, it's, it's like the two two sides of the coin right mm-hmm. this is what love is like this is what deep passionate love is here is a side where the person you're in love with is dismissive of you and there's a power dynamic there that is really tense and here's the other side where 
you are so in love with this person and you and it's not <laughs> it's not in a way where you're giving yourself up you're not taking it's not taking anything out of you it's adding to you and your love All's and well like that ends well to end up with, with you swear to be <laughs> and, and like also you know um where the the line which she talks about with every guitar string scar on my hand. With every guitar string mm-hmm. scar on my hand, I take this magnificent force of a man, man to, be to be mine. mine. Like, Love she, her. the fact that in Lover, she has that autonomy. She's like, mm-hmm. I take this man to be my mm-hmm. lover. Right? She like, throws Joe over her shoulder <laughs> and says, I'm taking this one home and carries him all the way back. And she says, and she's also asking him, like, can I go where you go? can we be this close forever? Like we, and and also the, all those intimate scenes that are similar to, you know, having a dinner party with your friends, why being in the kitchen, washing the dishes after, but instead it's, it's the it's domesticity. It's, it's that it's that fucking we could let our friends crash in the living room. This is our place. We make the call, and like and, the, and when I'm she says, I'm so obsessed with the lover and red parents. I know. And, and then when she says, and when she sick. says, and I'm highly suspicious that everyone who sees you wants you. And like that's how she felt. I mean, that's obviously how she felt about like Jake too, especially as someone who was like a really a hot shit actor. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is funny because Joe's an actor, but like not hot shit and doesn't talk at all. Um. That man has said three words through in twenty eight between twenty eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one. He has said like maybe seven words, like maybe. And then, and then I've loved you three summers now, honey. But I want them all. Like she is saying, this is what I want. Not, but in all too well, she's saying, this is what you did to me. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you remember me in the way, in the way that, like, you call me up, you call me up again just to break me like a promise. But in here, she's she's saying, I, she's saying like, all's well that ends well. That ends. My my heart's been borrowed and yours has been blue, blue, blue. <laughs> And when in all of the Lover era interviews with Taylor, she talks about how much she loves this song, how much she loves Lover, and how much she doesn't care whether other people love the song or not, because she loves it so much. And in All Too Well, she talks about how she didn't, ex- like, she wrote it for herself, and she didn't expect it to resonate with so many people, but uh, so many other people love it. So in that way, it, it is, again, a mirror of each other. It is mm-hmm. a reflection of the other thing. And it's like, oh, and like... I couldn't be happier for her. Like, she yeah. needed Lover. Like, yeah. like to think that's one to live in a world where all too well exists and lover does not but also to live the life mm-hmm. where you have gone through all yeah. too well and to think that it i mean thankfully that's not the case but to think that there is a life in which all too well is just it there mm-hmm. is no lover on the other mm-hmm. side Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm so happy that she was able, like, the, like obviously there's that in-between life, between mm-hmm. this period, but, like, the fact that she is able to experience that is, is yeah. d- just so magical to see. Yeah. But with, um... Even the line at the very beginning where she's like, and here's Dazzling Haze, a mysterious way about you, dear. I have, no- have I known you 20 seconds or 20 years? But she's saying, like, she makes similar observations about Jake, right? In all too well. She's talking about, like, she's like, oh, he's so cool. Or she even says this in, in fucking, you know, style in 1989. Like, he's so cool. And he, he, he's so fat, mm-hmm. but he does it so well. Like, like, but here, the ending is not, um... Say you'll remember me standing in a nice dress. 
mm-hmm. uh, like you know, just in your wildest dreams. It's not. It's not. You call me up again just to rape me like a promise. It's not. I remember it all too well. It's. It's. I, you're my lover. Uh, take me out. Take me home forever and ever. You are my home. You, like, like she's saying, we, like, we can leave the Christmas lights up till January because this is our house. We make the rules. We can mm-hmm. let our friends crash in the living room. It's our place. She says our. Like, where, like, it's it's all about our as opposed to, like, you, ca- you call me up. You, like, oh, my God. It's just so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. One thing that is um, specific to the way the the short film visually depicts the story in this film, I think, is in the first that I remember because I've seen the fucking short film like three times. Like I'm obsessed with it. I need I need I need <laughs> I every cried detail so to be hard, ingrained. My nose started bleeding. Like it was bad for me. It was bad. <laughs> like I need this ingrained in my mind. But one of the details that I picked up and like have just been obsessed with rewatching is the first kiss between Sadie and Dylan is when they're like in the forest that's supposed to be like upstate New York and you know they're like mm-hmm. very folklore vibes yeah. very, very evermore very, vibes like being like playful with each other and stuff like yeah. that and piggyback rides and stuff like that mm-hmm. and um in the scene it's kind of like this ongoing scene and the camera like circles and circles yeah. and circles and there's almost this dizzying uh, effect that, mm-hmm. like, when you watch it, you're like, okay, enough circles already. But, like, yeah. it's important. Like, it's it's yeah. an artistic choice. Very, yeah. I respect it very highly. Because it shows how caught up she was in yeah. the whirlwind. She, like, yeah. like there's there's these... Um, She's falling fast when, and hard. Like, when you're watching it, you can't tell when they've started kissing, when they don't, until they do. Like, mm-hmm. like there's this this blurriness and this whirlwind and this dizziness about it where you're not able to think straight in this moment and we're seeing this from the perspective because taylor swift is directing it of how she was feeling in this moment there's Mm -hmm. very little autonomy Mm -hmm. in how she is presented in all too Mm -hmm. well and not in a women don't have autonomy misogynistic kind of way Mm -hmm. but in that i was so young and he Mm -hmm. was so not young Mm -hmm. that that this was not wrong yeah. on multiple levels. I had to be swept up. There's no other way for me to be yeah, able to get there. There has in this anyway. to be this, and also the false glamour that yeah. I think is really being shown in red. Of like, mm-hmm. if you look at her in the Speak Now, which is the era that predates this, mm-hmm. and was the era that she was in when she was writing Red and going through this, she looks like a teenager. She mm-hmm. looks like a kid. Mm-hmm. When we see her in Red after the album is made, that's after she's been through all this she's been mm-hmm. through the the brimstone of yeah. that hell yeah and so i think looking at her looking at the speak now images and thinking of that girl going through what created red is mm-hmm. very jarring versus then mm-hmm. seeing her always on like the after product of the yeah. albums like when yeah. the album has already been created mm-hmm. you always have to go a step back to actually look mm-hmm. at what space she's in for the album and so i think looking at at speak now and then thinking of sadie in this short film it just really shows like she was so young and thank god she made it out on the other side mm-hmm. like when when paris hilton and britney spears were mm-hmm. in abusive relationships and mm-hmm. toxic toxic relationships when Lindsay lohan was in those mm-hmm. relationships it led to 
like we see the documentaries now that are made about them are why they led to those addiction spirals what mm-hmm. led them to these public breakdowns and mm-hmm. thank god taylor swift had the friends around her that mm-hmm. she had at the time the parents mm-hmm. she had at the time her brother because mm-hmm. it could have been very easily to fall down the slippery mm-hmm. slope of you just turned 21 mm-hmm. you have access to all the alcohol mm-hmm. that you could ever want mm-hmm. You have, you have the clout that anyone could ever want at this mm-hmm. end of an age. And thank God we get lover on the uh-huh. other side of that uh-huh. and not a conservatorship or yeah. abusive parents yeah. or something yeah. like that. So, like, I think that, like we said early in the podcast, one, well, all th- roads lead to Taylor Swift yeah. and all roads lead to Red. Yeah. Because of Red and yeah. because of how her environment was able to react to mm-hmm. what she went through we were mm-hmm. able to get magnificent piece of work after magnificent yeah. piece of work but at the end of the day none of this would exist without Fred. yeah none of it I, would exist i also think like it, this her story in comparison to like many of her peers right is and even the people that she's friends with like her story is so quote-unquote like classy or like so it's so like it's so put together in the way that only she really is, but while still being like vulnerable and messy. The thing about this, the world that we live in is that it punishes you for being successful and it punishes you when you're not. Like it punishes you for surviving and when you can't, it punishes you more. There's, There's really no escaping that shit. Like, this world is horrible. There were always there's 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 all the horrible abusive men. There's the you know contracts and the record labels and the you know and all of the ways that these things like replicate themselves in our in our these realities for everyone, regardless of your exact situation or your career or you know whatever. Like, and I think it's like this is that's the universality. That's the universality of art and why it's so important and and particularly particularly in the way that Taylor Swift was able to use it to like tell her story. So now, finally, after we've talked about Red for so long, we will talk about our recommendations and our our quick little shout outs because this episode is so fucking long. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So my shout out, my thing, I already tweeted about this because the letterbox covers look very similar, is Scenes from a Marriage. It's the short series that just came out that's inspired by a series of the same name, but I think it's from norway or some sort of nordic country with oscar isaac and jessica chastain it's on hbo max but also like pirated i don't give a fuck (laughs) um but it's really good it has that like visceral complicated relationship Uh dynamic and it's really good there's unfortunately isn't (laughs) plays a big part yeah because crazy like the other I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but, like, they kind of, like, go through a divorce and kind of thing. And so the other the other man that the wife in this series, like, has this other relationship with is, like, this journalist in Tel Aviv or mm-hmm. something like that. And the thing is that Oscar Isaac is also um, Jewish, but the mm-hmm. wife is not Jewish. Or Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac's character is Jewish. Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. is not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Anyways, to keep this short... There is that, and every time it came up, I was like, this is so nice. You could have picked any other country, like, any other place. Like, it's, it doesn't, the thing is that it's so inconsequential that the fact that it is Israel, that this other, like, that these business trips are being made to, it's like, why? Yeah. Why? What was the purpose? Any other country could have done this, this, this job. So, 
if you're not interested in hearing that, like, it's not, you don't hear about, like, the politics necessarily, but. It's just some guy from there, yeah. Anyways, but yeah. it's it's really good. I, I definitely see it sweeping a lot of awards or getting a lot of nominations in this upcoming season. So I would say I would recommend Spencer, obviously. Oh, yeah. Because actually when I was watching it, I was thinking a lot about how much it paralleled Taylor Swift's career and her, her life. Like what we're talking about in regards to yeah. the way that the media treats women and how famous and privileged women who are in very unique positions of power and, you know, like being subject to the world's gaze is that is a very unique and the world's experience. gaze both of them. <laughs> the gaze of the world <laughs> both taylor swift and princess diana have been subject to the world's gaze and the world's gaze the whole time i was watching spencer i was like this is so folklore core oh this is so red this is so this is so, like but maybe that's just because i'm 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 swift pilled <laughs> no it's true but that's why i assume that you would have been fascinated with Princess Diana prior to the movie uh-huh. because there are so there are so many parallels there. Yeah. That I but I I'm I'm glad that you're almost interested because one I can stop fighting for my life when it comes to my own British royal family and knowledge that I have and have well, harbored for ten years. Well, I think about Spencer is that it's so beautifully shot. It's it's so beautifully mm-hmm. it's so beautifully acted. Um, it is it is masterful in the same way that you know like the all too well short film is masterful. It has that that feeling that's like so atmospheric and so tender. But I I missed the first like twenty minutes of it in theaters because I was fucking running late as I always am. So yeah, hope maybe we can do an episode on it. I was thinking actually. Well, I'll yeah. talk about this. Later. I thought we were. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's all we have for so you that's today. It. Yeah. You should follow us on Twitter at the Lavender um, Pod. Join our Patreon mm-hmm. at the Lavender Menace. Follow me on Twitter at Renaissance First Is and X, and on Instagram at Renaissance Marie. You can follow me on Instagram at Sunny with the Camera, and on um, Twitter at a Sunny Booknook. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, a Sunny Booknook. And yeah, so that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Yes. Happy Red TV. <laughs> Woo! Stream Taylor. Bye. Stream Taylor. Bye. Slay.